And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend, and welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by my title sponsor. That is Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky because you can't win friends with salad. Three Edmonton and area locations, one in Leduc, one in Spruce Grove, one inside West Edmonton Mall. But if you're in Western Canada, use their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada they will ship it to you. This week, we are continuing on with our WHL team-by-team previews. Five more clubs in the hopper for you to uh, get the inside scoop from the play-by-play callers for each team. And it makes for a long show. Next week and the week after are going to be even longer. Six teams in both of those weeks. We had five last week, five this week. Uh, but it's a 22-team league, so uh, it'll be six next week and six the week after. Regardless, they're long episodes, so we're going to get right to them uh, fairly quickly. Uh, the only news and notes item that we really have to cover this week is with the Lethbridge Hurricanes and the uh, news that broke on Thursday, Wednesday, Wednesday it was, that the team has hired Bill Peters as their new head coach. And instantly on social media, uh, it was not hard to find the uh, public reaction to that, which was extremely negative, which I completely understand. If you don't know who Bill Peters is and why it's a big deal, uh, Google it. I'm not going to go over all of it right now, but everybody is expressing their own opinions on the situation, and I guess I should as well. Uh, Do I think it was a mistake? I don't know if it's as cut and dry simple to say that. I lean towards yes. I, I certainly do think it's a distraction to the team, and I'm not sure why it needed to be this particular head coach. My first thought with him is that he's been out of the league for like 16, 17 years, since 2008. And a lot has changed at the major junior level since then. I I don't know that you would want a coach that's been away from it for that long. So from a coaching perspective, that is my first initial thought. And of course, then there's what he's guilty of doing, what he's not even alleged to have done, what he's admitted to have done. I don't know why you would want that baggage. And I guess the first thing that I would do, and maybe it's just me, but I always think of the the victims in these situations, whether it's here with Bill Peters, and that would be Akeem Alou and some other players, or with other people who have done really horrendous things in around hockey. And we've talked, we, we hear so much about how crappy hockey culture is. If you're going to get out of that, I think you have to talk to the victims and make sure that they're okay before you 
bring somebody back in. I'm thinking of Logan Mayu. I'm thinking of Mitchell Miller. And now here we have Bill Peters. I saw the report that Frank Saravalli had from a Daily Faceoff, and then he uh, retweeted posts that Akima Lou had put out. They don't look good. That there's been no apology from Bill Peters to him until now, and the timing of it optically just looks terrible. I think we have to allow for people to work themselves back and have redemption. But then when you hear that there's been no contact made, except through possibly a third party, and and I watched the press release uh, that Bill Peters had in Lethbridge when he was asked about why there's been no communication with Akeem Alou, and he said, well, I, he wasn't ready to apologize because it wouldn't be of, it wouldn't have been coming from an or from a person who is fully understanding maybe what he did wrong and has changed, and now he's closer to that. I don't know. I, I can't speak for Bill. I will say that, not in Bill Peters' defense, but at least he has spent the last number of, well, year or two working on bettering himself and educating himself. At least he's putting in that work. Otherwise, the question would be, well, what have you done? Well, it sounds like there has been some effort there. Again, I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm not trying to justify this, but it could be worse. And so I will say that the only reason I am not completely piling on with all the negative reaction that uh, that is being directed Lethbridge's way, the only reason I'm not piling on on that is because of my respect for Peter Anhold. I think Peter Anhold is an outstanding human being. I think he's a very capable and smart hockey man. I haven't spoken to him. I would like to. I think I probably will as uh, Edmonton and Lethbridge get together several times early on in the season, so I'm sure we'll cross paths. If Peter Anhold, by doing this, is saying that this individual is now worthy of, is this a second chance? Is this a fourth chance? I don't know. This opportunity that I'm at least willing to see if Peter Anhold is right, because I believe in Peter Anhold. He's made tough trades over the years. He's traded away good, productive players who were valuable on the ice and in terms of putting up points, but they weren't good in the dressing room. So maybe a little short-term loss for long-term gain. Keep in mind where that franchise was when he took over. They weren't getting crowds. They were not good in the standings. And he has really turned that franchise around. I don't think he would do this without considering everything. But it's a conversation I haven't had with him yet. I, I will say that the optics look terrible. I don't think I would have done this if I was the Lethbridge Hurricanes because of all that baggage. And I mean, it's just an onslaught of negativity directed towards the organization now from way outside the Western Hockey League. This is like North American-wide attention they're getting, and none of it positive. From a coaching perspective, there's got to be coaches around. I would like to know why it was worth all of this negative publicity. I am curious why a coach who hasn't been in the league for, it was it, 2008? So it's at 16 seasons. Why that's not a concern and why that wouldn't push somebody younger and fresher and someone more familiar with today's junior players. Uh, why wouldn't that make that candidate more viable? But I don't know. As I said, I haven't spoken with Peter Anholt, so I don't know his reasoning for, for those things or his thoughts on those questions. It boggles my mind, though, why nobody has 
whether it was the league or the Hurricanes or Bill Peters himself, you know if you don't talk to Akeem Alou that it's going to blow up in your face. Why would you not have done that? I don't get it. But that's where we are, and we will see how it unfolds in Lethbridge. Other than that, all I can tell you is that camps are open everywhere. The CJHL camps are wide open. The Major Junior Hockey League in the OHL and the WHL get going full blast this weekend. This weekend, the queue's already been going for a week or so. So hockey is back. I know a lot of uh, NHL fans are like, I can't wait for hockey to be back. Well, it's back. And I know here in Edmonton, the Oil Kings open camp on uh, Friday. I think the team, they were all in on Thursday getting uh, weighed and uh, and measured and all of that stuff. But uh, first on ice is on Friday evening. I will be down there. Red-white game goes on a Monday morning, I believe 11 o'clock, shortly thereafter, 11 o'clock. And then uh, exhibition schedule gets underway next Saturday. That will be at uh, Enoch. It'll be Edmonton and Calgary, I believe. And then it's all road games. The other three games of the exhibition for Edmonton are all on the road. They're in Red Deer against the Rebels. Not this coming Sunday, Sunday the 10th, rather. And then they play two games against Prince George, but it's uh, neutral site games. They're playing in Grand Cache, Alberta. Beautiful town in uh, just outside the mountains, sort of between Hinton and Grand Prairie, if you don't really know the area. Beautiful. A little bit remote. I won't be making the drive out there, but beautiful setting. So camp's underway, and quite honestly, that's all we're going to talk about here for news and notes in this segment. A reminder that all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. You can go online to troubledmonk.com slash shop, see what Troubled Monk has in stock right now, and then if you go to your local liquor store to pick it up and they don't have it, you can ask them to bring it in for you because they have access to it, or you can order it online from Troubled Monk and pick up either in Calgary at the Farmer's Market in Edmonton at the Farmer's Market, or at the Tap Room in Red Deer. So if you're in Lethbridge or Medicine Hat or Cold Lake or Grand Prairie or Fort Mac, probably save yourself a bit of a drive and get it at your local liquor store. The guest list this week and the order that we will hear from these teams and their play-by-play man, we're going to start with the Medicine Hat Tigers, Gino DePauli. Really interesting team. This is a club that uh, last season got into the playoffs after finishing dead last in the league the season prior. That was huge. I don't know that anybody expected that, but the Tigers did it. What do they do for an encore? Well, we'll talk to Gino DePauli about that. Then we'll go on to the Brandon Wee Kings, and uh, their new play-by-play man was in Prince Albert last year. This year, Rob Mann is behind the microphone for the Wheaties. So we'll uh, talk about the Wheat Kings in our second guest segment. From there, it's uh, across into Saskatchewan, James Gallo of the Moose Jaw Warriors getting to call games for a team that I think most people expect to be in the upper end of the Eastern Conference this year, much like last year, but maybe taking a step forward, or do they take a step back? Really interesting discussion with James. And then from there, only one Western Conference team this week in the spotlight, and that is the Kelowna Rockets, thanks to Regan Bartell, who, what a awful summer in the Okanagan. Get an update on that from Regan. Uh, but then we get into some hockey, and hopefully it serves as somewhat of a distraction for everybody still dealing with the uh, massive forest fires in the Okanagan area. And then we will end this week's episode, well, timely, with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Dustin Forbes is the radio voice of the uh, Lethbridge Hurricanes. Now, before you wonder, I am not peppering Dustin with questions about the coach. We do talk about it for a couple of questions, but that's it. He is not the guy who hires the coach. 
So I am talking to Dustin about the players and the roster, and that is 99% of our conversation. We're not talking a whole lot about Bill Peters. It's like two questions right at the start. I think you will find this to be a uh, very educational and interesting episode, so let's kick it off. Let's get down to Medicine Hat. The voice of the Medicine Hat Tigers is Gino DePauli, and he's up first here on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. No sleep till... Bend off the wall, falling there was Longo as uh, he couldn't stop that rush on the right side. Goodberg walks in, hands it up in front, that's so good. Making a nice read there, stretching out those long legs. Hey, it's Matt Sogard from the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Dee Flaming. Ooh, that's a bingo. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Dee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best, and you can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website, at wilhockbeefjerky.com. They will ship it to you any order, any size in Western Canada. My next guest as we continue the uh, tour through the Western Hockey League, getting set for the upcoming season. Uh, we are stopping next in Medicine Hat, and that means the play-by-play voice of the Medicine Hat Tigers. That's Gino DePauli. Uh, Gino, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? It feels like I've been on here forever, you know, all the different places we've gone and talked to each other it's, it's true. just come to fruition once again Guy. no things are good uh just sitting out looking at the here in the bob ridley broadcast booth at what's yet to come for this tiger team after a really exciting uh sort of no bets were on the tigers to do anything last year and i mm-hmm. think they turned a lot of heads in the second half of the season and fought their way into a playoff spot and got some special experience for those coming up the ranks and really brought some pride back into this organization after that 11-win season from a season prior to last year. And, and now this is really the year that everybody is talking about for this team, the what-ifs. And now no one is going to be going lightly on this team going forward, I would think, just of what you have coming in and what hasn't really left. For the casual fans who maybe they're listening in Ontario or in the United States that don't follow the dub as closely as obviously you and I do, it was a remarkable year for Medicine Hat and the fact that the years previous, last place in the league, and then a year later, into the playoffs. Sure, it was out in the first round and got swept, but that's a huge jump to be the last place team to make in the playoffs. And quite frankly, that's what the Oil Kings are trying to do this year after finishing last place. The, the, the Tigers proved it can be done, but it was that was an exceptional season. Oh, it was unbelievable. I think it, it started out great on opening night when you came and faced the Lethbridge Hurricanes and beat them 9-1 to at co-op place. And <laughs> this team knew how to score in bunches at times. It was kind of keeping the puck out at times. That was a little bit of a struggle. And 
everybody had to learn new things. And, you know, Willie Desjardins came out and really said, uh, you know, after the 11 win season, you know, the account, you you can only hold a person accountable for so long when it's an 11 win season. I think he ramped up that. and He's one of the greatest coaches in this entire country at the junior level. So that you've got the building blocks before you come, when you come through the front door here at co-op place. And I think with Joe Fraser, who is the associate coach of this group comes in as a player for Willie Desjardins sticks around after his playing career to start coaching. And now he's an associate coach and ready to also be a, a great contributor to building the tradition. There, there's a lot of pride in this, in this city, in this team and how they go about their business and, I think it was it was just you had the right mix of leadership, guys that bought in and kind of came together, that kumbaya moment after a handful of losses to the Swift Current Broncos in January and go seven, they go 7-3 and three in a stretch of 10 games and you beat the Kamloops Blazers with their fully loaded roster. You beat the Winnipeg Ice 6-4 to four and you started taking points away from teams that thought they could catch you and I think they just stayed steady. They got better and the young guys were good and the veterans did what needed to be done. And unfortunately now that it, you know what, no one's going to take them lightly. No yep. one is going yep. to second guess the Madison Hat Tigers for, you know what, let's give or take four to five years. So I think there's a lot of eyes on and everybody will be bringing their A game. And you won't be throwing your back up against them, try to get that easy two points. And there's no easy games in the Western League, as I discovered in my first year last year, unlike in junior A where you could have those, quick games against the old Grizzlies, just get out and put your best foot forward. You're probably going to come away with at least two points. So I, you know, it's stuff like that, that I, I look at just how competitive this team and how good they can be at any given night. And you know what? All eyes on quite a few members of this roster. They got a lot of draft eligible players. They're coming off great rookie and sophomore seasons and have a chance to really uh, make, some, you know, make some hay at the NHL draft in Vegas next year. Well, we're going to talk about that roster next, and uh, maybe before we get into this year's team, we'll look at the, uh, the the playoff roster from last spring and and note who is not back from that team. And, uh, of course, everybody loses their 0-2 born uh, players, and for Medicine Hat, that's uh, Brendan Lee, Dallin Moline, and defenseman Curtis Smythe. Uh, Gino, from the, uh, the rest of the roster from what we saw in the spring in the playoffs against Winnipeg, who else is not back? Everybody's back. You made it really easy right now, Guy. <laughs> it's going to dwindle here the next little bit, but all the 20-year-olds are, that are expected to be here, obviously the Tigers have got five 20-year-olds, so there's going to be some competition for only three spots. And Obviously, you have Drew Krebs, who ended up being the team's MVP last year and uh, went to Florida Panthers Development Camp this past summer. Uh, he'll be there along with Rhett Parsons on defense. And then it gets really interesting with Captain Owen McNeil, uh, goaltender Beckett Lanko, and Bogdan Hodis, who has a little bit of a disadvantage on him being in the Euro in a 20-year-old spot. So, mm-hmm. But he's here. He is He is in Madison Hat to start for now. As obviously, there is, there's going to be some competition and some decisions to be made, some tough ones. There's going to be trades. There's going to be maybe the unfortunate release of a guy or two and but all the 17-year-olds are back. You look at Braden Bain, he's back. Uh, Evan May as a goaltender is coming back. The Nanaimo kids. The 04 is a little bit of a different group for this side of things. The 05s are very strong. Josh Van Mulligan, who was at Edmonton Oilers Development Camp, will play at the Rookie Stars event in Penticton for Edmonton. Reed Andreessen is around. 
You look at Andrew Basher, who has potentially a chance for a big year. Oasis Weisblatt is an 04. He will. He went to Columbus's development camp this past summer as well. So look for him to take that stride to the next level. And the 06s are something special to watch with. Uh, Tomas Mercik, I think no one is talking nearly enough about how much how much he improved this past season from his U-17s appearance on and how skilled and how great of a shot he is and the player himself and the person himself is just a special. Caden Lindstrom playing at the at the Holinka Gretzky winning a gold medal, scored a big goal in that gold medal game. He scored big goals here for, for the Mesonet Tigers, including the eventual game winner against Swift Kurt to get to the playoffs and the list goes on and on at the 07s, which would be the new rookies coming in. And I, I don't really need to sugarcoat what's exciting in the 07 and a potentially the 08 birthday years mm. down the stretch for the Madison Tigers for the last couple of drafts. All right, I'm going to go back to the – we're going to go position by position. So I know you mentioned a bunch of names. We'll, we'll probably talk about them again. Um, with Bogdan's hottest, uh, you said he's he's back. I thought the Tigers drafted a couple more imports. Don't they have Bruno Petrovic and, and uh, Vasil Spilka as well? Yes, they do. But uh, at the moment, I know, uh, I believe it's Vasil Spilka. I will double check when he does come in. He is not coming to camp right away. Okay. Uh, so right now it is Bruno Petrovic. is an 05 from the Euro draft, along with Bogdan's Hodis and uh, Vasil Spilka are going to be the Euros to start things up. Yeah, there's going to somebody's going to be gone. We don't know. And you know what? It doesn't, it's tough for, for Bogdan's. I know, I think he would love to stay a tiger, but I think everybody and, and their dog knows that the rule of the, of the euros. And it's very rare to see a 20 year old Euro stay with the same team. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm intrigued at what Willie Desjardins is going to have to do. I, I, I'm not going to say he's moving, he's going on, but he is here to start things off. And that doesn't mean anything. And I, you know what, I don't know how the lineup card and how things work with that, but he is here to start things off along with Bruno Petrovic, and they're both defensemen, they're both Latvians, so that's not the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, and that's why we have training camp. Uh, it's, uh, things things tend to sort themselves out, don't they, Gino? All right, let's... Uh, mm -hmm. well, they'll, they'll level it out like they always do. Let's go with the goaltenders, and uh, I, I think you mentioned that Evan May is back. What about Beckett Lankow? Did, you, did I miss uh, when you mentioned, if you mentioned him? Yeah, I mentioned Beckett. Is, Beckett's coming back, and okay. he is a 20-year-old. He's from Fort Saskatchewan. So the, the two goaltenders from last season are back. But again, uh, as we mentioned with Bogdans and the position that Beckett has as a goaltender and a 20-year-old, that's a tough spot for him to be. And I know, yep. I think at times Beckett was an MVP for this team, the way he had played in some games and gave them a chance to win. But uh, you know what? The, the numbers with where they are and how – kind of the playoffs went with Winnipeg. I know he was under siege in all four of those games and it was tough sledding and the Tigers got to kind of look to the future. But then again, that doesn't mean we'll see who wins the starting job with Evan May and Beckett Lanco. I think that's how that kind of peels out. And then you've got Ethan McCallum right now as a 06, which kind of started as the backup last year for the Tigers, but the Tigers went and got May to get a little bit older at that position. So he was, at the South Alberta Hockey Academy last season with Madison Hat, I would like to think. But then again, there's nothing in stone with Ethan either that maybe he, Ethan McCallum is a shoe-in as the backup. I, I think it's going to come down to how good Evan and Beckett are here as they kick things off with camp starting this week. And that's going to be the biggest question mark 
and how far maybe this Tiger team is going to go this year mm. is who's going to be stopping the puck and who does the best job stopping the puck as well. So that's what you kind of have there. Jordan Switzer, the 07. Uh, we'll go back to NAX as the U18's top goaltender. He was at the Canada Winter Games representing Team Alberta, and he has the opportunity to be a very successful player this year uh, at the U18 in the Canada Sports School Hockey League ranks. So that's where I kind of set. It's kind of it's Beckett Lanko versus Evan May and Ethan McCallum, and who starts an opening night? I couldn't tell you. Well, I could not. I everything's in pencil on goaltender. Well, that makes it exciting. Uh, Dino DePaoli is my guest. He's the voice of the Medicine Hat Tigers as we uh, get set for the upcoming season in Medicine Hat. Uh, let's go to the uh, defensive group. And you mentioned Drew Krebs is back, and Hodas is still with the team right now, and Rhett Parsons. So they got a lot of veteran experience on that blue line. Not everybody's going to stay, as you pointed out, but there's some young talent as well. Uh, what do you make of the the group that's coming to camp? It's an interesting group, and it's a definitely a lot of different styles and and upbringings for all six to seven or maybe potentially eight defensemen, depending how things are going to roll to start the season. Uh, I would think Drew Krebs is a shoe-in, on the, obviously. It, he also can bring a little bit of value from his time in the pros if they've got to do a 20-year-old move. Rhett Parsons, I think, is as stalwart and steady Eddie as you can write in as well that will stick around to be eating some big minutes on penalty kill and just adding toughness to that group on the back end uh Reed Andreessen with an 05 birthday he needs to have an even bigger year this year after coming off a decent end to the season last year and has that offensive prowess that could be lurking around and I hear nothing about great things about Josh Van Mogan who's also a local kid how he kind of came into the end of the season and how he performed at Edmonton's development camp. He's looking good. Uh, Pasha Botcharov, who actually is an 04 defenseman from the United States, ended up as a forward for the remainder of the, since the trade deadline, playing with Oasis Wisebutt and Andrew Basha. He's expected to go back and play defense this year. Does that happen? I don't know. We know he could, he's a pretty damn good forward and, turn defenseman and that's probably one of the reasons why the Tigers defense was able to do what it did because Pasha that's a really tough thing to do is say I'll just go play forward to make things work and he did he was excellent so you've got those pieces there then you look at maybe to fill the the void that's lost with Curtis Smythe who I thought was as excellent of a the stalwart stay at home don't make mistakes on the back end Matthew Peranich who was part of that 07 draft class uh, top defenseman in the Canada Sports School Hockey League a season ago with the South Alberta Hockey Academy. I would think he's in that in that third pair to start as as a 16 year old. I think he's going to get some serious minutes. He looks great from what I could see on videos on Instagram of how he's been getting ready for the season. And then you've got a few players in, in the ranks of you know, Colby Gapter and I think the Corbet. Or sorry. Uh, I've got the Corbet kid. I can't forget and remember his first name. There's too many of them now in the sure. in the world, but those are all going to be players that are going to be fighting for uh, a chance to be the six, seven defenseman on this club. And but then, and obviously, we know potentially, potentially a, a defenseman could be moving. Uh, and you know, with the odds being that three out of five twenty year olds that are here, you know, there's a good chance that when you have sixty percent of the twenty year olds, one of you might be gone. Yeah. So. Who knows who that's going to be, and that's not my ground to say who is going to be, and I don't need the guys to hear this. Obviously, nobody's going to hear this for a little while, but that's kind of 
where I kind of see it right now, which GM uh, picks up the phone first and wants to make a deal or it comes down to cut down day and you just have to do what you have to do. Do you know to have that many returning defensemen uh, from one year to the next at the junior hockey level, that's uh, that's a bonus, isn't it? In my opinion, to get uh, a lot of guys who have played, have that familiarity with each other and growing together as a team. And Medicine Hat has that. That's awesome. Yeah, they, they've got the asset management to do it. And I think you you look at how this team has drafted uh, the last couple of years. I don't think they got to worry about forward too much there going forward. I, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm intrigued at the back end, what's going to end up and when the smoke clears and the, Tigers are in Calgary to open the season on the 22nd on defense. But the thing is, do you want to upgrade? Do you want to get a different style of defenseman? Or do you need this birth date to kind of fill out there? Because maybe you want to strengthen the 05D with the old, with somebody or another 06. You, you kind of go from 2005 to 2007 right now. The 06s are unproven in that certain aspect there. And right. that's maybe when you maybe have to start thinking about making a move or trying to find somebody uh, in the ranks or maybe a, a release or a trade for a trade and or just a one-for-one one kind of deal to just change a little bit of your dyma- dynamics and your depth chart going forward. So it, it, it's I always have to think who's going to be there on opening night, and it's not going to be easy, and we're going to see a lot. There's going to be a lot of – there's going to be a lot of closed doors and – you know, there's going to be some tough decisions made, and, there, and there's going to be tears fought back, I think, too, if whatever happens with this group. All right, Gino, let's go to the forward group and maybe burying the lead here a little bit on this. But I, from the outside looking in, this is the strength of the Tigers, in my opinion, is uh, their offensive punch that they have up front. And you go back, it's not that long ago, a couple of years ago, this is a team that had a hard time finding offense. So that's not the case anymore. As you mentioned, scored nine goals on opening night last year. Uh, tell me about this forward group, and I know there are some uh, key guys who are uh, draft eligible this coming season, and uh, maybe the youngest forward from last year's playoff roster who might be a star in the making for sure. Well, he is. He is a star. It's not a might be. He is. That's Gavin McKenna. He's an outstanding player. But when you look at this forward group overall, uh, what do you notice? I think they're deep down the middle right now, Guy. I think that was proven last year. I think Oasis Weisblatt. With with his good buddy Andrew Bash and the two Calgary kids, and who's going to play with them to start the year? But you look at the positions at center for this team, and that's the most important position in hockey besides a goaltender. And I don't care what anybody says about a defenseman. When you have a centerman like Oasis, supplies but offensively skilled, uh, hopefully can get things a little cleaned up in his own end. And I, he wasn't a terrible defender or anything like that. I know there's a persona about him. That's not who that kid is, and I know he's going to bounce back greatly. You have him. You have Tyler McKenzie, who is a, a good penalty killing and hard working, as Willie Desjardins kind of compared him to Derek Dorsett a little bit, uh, some of his tendencies, and that seemed to bode well for Dorsett's future in an NHL uniform. Uh, Caden Lindstrom's down the middle as well, and Tomas Mersick is down the middle as well. You, you, Caden McCann is down the middle as a so-called fifth center and probably going to a wing, depending how things go, and maybe he makes this roster. And Oh, uh, just a nice little treat for whoever would like to play uh, have Gavin McKenna on their wings with 18 points in 16 games, and the majority of those points coming as a, a member when he was fifth or he was 14, half of those points were when he was 14 years old and the other half when he turned 15 on December 20th. So I, it, it's still mind boggling what this team has. And that's, 
just talking about center, you look at the wings, Andrew Basha, career year, probably shooting for another one to try and get a chance to, with his late 05 birthday, to be a first rounder this year in the NHL draft. Potentially he could have a great season. We've mentioned Olmersic at center. You've got McCann. You've got Braden Bame, who also has been effective uh, as a penalty killer and one of the smoothest skaters, one of the fastest skaters you'll ever see. The list just goes on and on. We have Owen McNeil, the captain, who's trying to make this roster. It's going to be tough, but I know as a 20-year-old and his leadership, some of the best leadership qualities I've ever seen behind the behind the scenes and just how he conducts himself as a person. And I think that does absolute wonders for a guy going forward. Crew Hannes, does he take that next step? Uh, obviously was in and out of the lineup as an 05. This is a big year for him. And there's guys chomping at the bit. Hayden Harsani was that other first rounder in the McKenna draft uh, from the edge school, won a sports school title with the edge this past year. Caden McCann's right there wanting to take a spot. And it's catch me if you can. There's going to be skills. And you look at, there's going to be the Ruck twins, uh, Liam and Marcus Ruck, who were drafted this year, obviously won't see them much this year right. just because of their age. But they're, guess what? They're knocking on the door, and they're going to kick it down next year. So forwards are going to have to have a big year this year, despite how skilled they are. You always wonder who's going to try and you know take that next step and pull, pull away from everybody and can do it effectively as a good teammate in that aspect. But the forwards, it, 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 could, be, it could be a lot of fun. But I still think just because the way things kind of went against Winnipeg, that's what this team's kind of modeled itself after, how they were dynamic with the Savoys and the Bensons and the Geekies and the skill that they had and could potentially still have with playing with the Wenatchee. But I, there's still a long way to go, and there could be some tough nights uh, just maybe run into a couple of hot goaltenders here and there. But the forwards is definitely where it's going to help. And as you move further it's got this team was built out before goal or built in and got to work its way out to mm-hmm. or reverse that and how it's going to go. That's kind of the secret to success. How Willie Desjardins maybe uses those forwards to strengthen a different spot in his lineup, perhaps, and he might have no choice. Andrew Basha had a big year last season. His first year, he played 48 games at 14 points. That's good. But then last year, he takes it up to 20 goals and 56 points in 67 games. I'm looking at him and, and Thomas Mercek, who, because Basha is the late birthday, he's got an extra year under his belt already. Do you think it's fair to expect maybe the, a similar breakout season for Mercek this season? I mean, he had 23 points last year. That's terrific. Kind of points per game wise, similar to what Basha had in his first, uh, first season with the Tigers and then really took off last year. Do you think Mercek has a big bust out season this season where he's 50, 60 point guy more? Oh, 100% I do. I I would love to see him right there because I just, I think it was a, a tough transition for him coming from the U-17 Delta program to the dub. And it took him a little bit of time after the U.S. road trip and he needed that confidence at the U-17s to get better. And I think he's he is coming fast. He will be skilled. Uh, he didn't take much time off from sort of some of the features that I do with being the the comms guy and trying to create content when there's nothing to do with the summer guy. And he was one of the guys I focused on was what his abilities are. And I think he has all the hockey IQ in the world. And he started to go back to playing center. He was playing wing for almost half the season. So that was an adjustment when you're kind of built you down to build you or break you down to build you back up. And I don't even think that's how the Tigers went about. That's just what they had to do with their depth chart. And 
Now he's a centerman. And I don't think you'll ever see him not at center again, unless it's power play time and how the Tigers plan to attack on their spe- special teams, which he has all the tools to play bumper on the wing and down low, or does he have to go to the top of the, be a sort of in a point spot with four, like as a defenseman and maybe it's four forwards, one D I think he's very versatile and, I don't think we've only scratched the surface of what Tomas had and to kind of mention what Andrew had. Andrew got the benefit of having to play a game playing with a struggling Tiger team that one year yeah. where he got those 48 games because it, nobody could score it. He got, he went from the South Alberta hockey Academy and played 48 games with the Tigers and he, he stuck around. He, he didn't go back after a chance to play with the team and get those reps. And that's why I think he was even better this past year at how this team has, kind of come into their own and what and I the potential is off the charts this team could finish anywhere from second in the division to maybe fourth and that would be a good fourth it'd be a scary fourth I don't know I think the central just from years of improvement and what's potentially there I think it could be the toughest in the league besides maybe the U.S. division I, I truly believe that, and I, I might even die on that hill this year. Interesting. All right. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Caden Lindstrom as well. Rookie season last year, 42 points, 19 goals as a rookie. I mean, that's tremendous. He has such a physical advantage. He's listed at 6'5 and just over 200 pounds, and that, I'm guessing, is last year. He might even be a lot more than that now. Uh, but that physical presence uh, for him, it, he's not just a big, strong kid. But he's got that offensive instinct as well. What are you expecting from him this season? He's the wild card to me. I, I, I don't want to say as a wild card, like I don't think he's going to have a bad year. I, I, I think it's more of how far does he take his game to the next step than I think one of the main reasons he was the way he was at the end of the year was because he was playing with Dallin Moline, right. uh, the uh, former Red Deer Rebel, and kind of had that leadership and how to play the heavy game. He played a ton of heavy game work in the you know, work in the corners and the release is as NHL caliber as possible. That's what the pros or that's what the experts tell me that he has the release and the shot that can really create a lot of space from because you have to respect the shot, but then he's strong and tough and he can go to the net. And I think as long as he gets stronger and keeps up with his skating, he will, I think this guy can be the limit. He led the team, in face-off percentage last year as a 16-year-old, just over 50%. So if he can get that up to that, maybe that 55 56%, or when you're kind of into that 60-40 winning a draw, which is was maybe one of the weaknesses the Tigers had last year, was face-offs, actually. It, he has the shot, and the thing is now, I think he knows that he's good, and people know that he is good, and he he has a lot of swagger to him. I think he has all the potential to really even bust out of what that is and get to that high mark and he's got a mean streak to him I, I know he can get mean and he can he can truck a guy no problem in the trenches and i love to see him work he he never stops moving and working to get open there to create and help others so lindy is as good as anybody is going to be in this league and also might be a determining point does he go from that the point where he was with points, does he get to that point per game? Does he get above mm-hmm. that? Does he get to 80? I, I know there's a lot of talk of where he might position himself when the first pre, uh, the pre or North American skater rankings come out and where he finishes this year. I think there's a lot of talks of him potentially a first rounder as well. So the sky's the limit for him. And 
I, I, I'm looking forward to what he brings to the table this coming season. All right, just two more questions. Uh, what are you looking for in camp? What's the biggest question mark or biggest question that you have that uh, you got to wait until things play out in camp uh, uh, right now, anyway, at least going into camp? I think number one, who's going to start? <laughs> who's going to be the starting goaltender on opening night for this club? And okay. I don't think we have an answer when that happens. I think the goaltending battle is going to be intriguing. Did Evan May do enough in the off season to get better to be determined as a potential number one, or is Beckett Lanko going to be the starting goaltender here? And then that, of course, creates a different series of questions of who your twenty-year-olds are going to be. And I know the twenty-year-olds don't really take a lot of space when it's all said and done but you got five of them you got to make two and how do you make those pieces either help you grow your team or if you got to move them are you able to maybe get something for them and and beyond that that's the, the question one would be or number one would be who starts number two who's going to be 20 on this team and number three is who's going to fill out the rest of the defense on this club and how do they improve or do you have to use your asset management early because prices are expensive for players now. And right. you have to take some of that depth on forward and build on the back end, I think is kind of those three elements there, but safe to say, I think the next couple of drafts coming up, uh, expect a lot of defensemen to be selected and maybe the odd goaltender going forward for this tiger team. Cause how they kind of went through and got their top three guys signed with the rock twins. And then you got, uh, Korai Bozkaya from BC and also getting uh, Riley Steen all signed. Those are 2D and 2 forwards. So uh, you look at the depth chart, how do they get better and how do they come out of it there? So those are the questions. From the back out is kind of how this is. That's how it intrigues itself. If you're going to question this team, how far they go. And lastly, Gino, just uh, we always end these with what's the reasonable expectation for this club that the fan base should have going in? They go from last place to a playoff spot. Uh, where does uh, where do you set that bar for expectations this year? Wow, well, that's a tough one. Uh, I know the guys won't listen to this for a while. Uh, obviously, this team wants to get to the playoffs again. I I would love to see them win a round, and I think maybe the the low would be get to round two and see how you go from there. But I think as there's a potential if they can get around and they do it the right way and the matchup that they get how they've done in the past, maybe you can get to that Eastern conference final. I think that would be the sort of the high. If you could somehow get there with this team at this age and give McKenna and Lindstrom and Basha and Weisblatt and Mercic and all those young players that deep of a run this year, at least to round two. And Hey, if you go round two, you, you go to a seven gamer and you, you get that grind and know what it takes to win. I think that's the perfect spot for the Tigers. I think anything sort of less than that would be a little bit of a failure, perhaps. I know it all depends on your first round and who you're seated against. You just know you don't want to be the eighth seed in, in the East again. So <laughs> it's going to be a rough time for you, and the Tigers knew that firsthand, so you get that experience. Okay, I don't want to be here again, so let's keep moving our way up. And I think a second-round playoff appearance would be perfect or would be ideal, and perfect would be if you can get to the Eastern Conference Final, which won't be easy. And that could be the sort of, if you were to define a great season for the Tigers, at least at this point, that would be the way to, to map it out. That sounds pretty reasonable to me, Gino, and uh, pretty much what I expected as well. Gino, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. Uh, when does camp open for the Tigers? Uh, camp opens on Friday, September 1st. Uh, 
I think there's some check in the night before with like dealing with media media guys like me, but it's not there. It's a full, full blown attack on the morning of the first and preseason game on September the 5th in Lethbridge. So it's going to be a short camp. It's going to be an intense camp. Do you know, this was great. Looking forward to uh, seeing you and the Tigers come through Edmonton. Absolutely. It won't take long either. Thanks, Guy. That was Gino DePauli, the uh, voice of the Medicine Hat Tigers, going into his second season behind the microphone there. Medicine Hat should be a, uh, a good team this year, provided, as Gino described, some of those question marks get answered positively. Can the goaltending hold up? Is the defense deep enough? And do the young guys take another step? And if they all do, I think that forward group could be actually really dangerous. This could be a, a team that wins a lot of 5-4 games. Are they good enough to host in the opening round of the playoffs? Not sure. I think they'll be in that conversation, though I don't know that it's fair to predict that they're at the upper end of the conference, but I think they're solidly in the middle of it. I do think it's a playoff team, and maybe first round, home ice advantage, might not be out of the question. That's why we play the games, folks. Next up, he was in Prince Albert last year. Now he's the new voice of the Brandon Wheat Kings. His name is Rob Mann. We look at the Wheaties next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Broken up and then taken by Prop. Threw into the zone. He's on a breakaway. Look out. Short-handed. Three short-handed goals and a hat trick for Brian Prop. Holy cow. Welcome to Flyers Hockey on this Sunday. Hi, this is Brian Prop, former Brandon Wheat King, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move! Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores! Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores! Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, what happened? We are back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Wilhock Beef Jerky, it's Alberta's best beef jerky and you can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. Our next stop is in Brandon with the uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings and uh, the new play-by-play voice, I think this is the third year in a row. Rob Mann, uh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Rob, you were up in uh, Prince Albert last year, a little bit closer to home now. I know you were just telling me you're from Winnipeg. Uh, so uh, to come back to Manitoba, nice little fit for you. Yeah, the last time you and I chatted, I was with the Prince Albert Raiders, and now I'm back in Brandon. It's pretty nice to be uh, back in my home province. I hadn't lived in Manitoba for six years after moving away to take a job in the SJHL. So it's been kind of a nice readjustment. Well, that's exciting. And uh, for the Wheat Kings and Wheat Kings fans, at least it's a familiar voice for them. I'm sure they've heard you uh, calling uh, PA games uh, from time to time and uh, when the, the Wheat Kings and the Raiders would get together. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, third new play-by-play guy in three years for Brandon? Yeah, Brandon Crow accepted a, a position with Hockey Canada. That's it right. was my, my first year in the Western League, actually. And then, of course, there's been some changes since then as well. So, yeah, I'm the the third guy in a row. I was joking with uh, Carson Bjarnason the other day that I'm the third radio announcer he's had in his three-year career. So if I'm still here by Christmas, then he can learn my name. All right, perfect. Uh, well, Rob, let's get into uh, this year's team. 
in Brandon, and maybe we'll start by reflecting on who's not back from uh, the regular season uh, team that uh, finished off the year in Brandon. Um, the uh, 20-year-olds that were with the club at some point last year, Calder, Anderson, Nolan Ritchie, and Riley Janelle up front. Uh, I know Mason Ward was on the back end for a while as well, but uh, all of those guys gone. Anybody else from uh, the team that ended the regular season in Brandon that will not be back this year? And I know you weren't there, but... I've still got some familiarity with the roster from last season, of course, just because they played the Raiders six times and the games got so intense that the two teams got to know each other pretty well. But Sakar Polshikov is not going to be back with the team. It looks like he's uh, accepted an opportunity elsewhere, so he's going to be uh, not with the Wheat Kings this year. And to that end, they brought in Dominic Peter to replace him with the import selection. So there's uh, there's a change on that front. But other than that, you touched on the 20-year-olds there. I mean, even Riley Janelle finished last season with the Regina Pats. So it's really from January 10th on, just Calder, Anderson, and Nolan Ritchie that the Weekings are having to replace. Well, I say just. Of course, that's 120 points out of their lineup. But yeah. <laughs> it's just those two guys in terms of roster spaces. All right, but that's that means a lot of returning bodies this year, and that's a big thing at the junior hockey level. Yes, there's a lot of guys coming back. The blue line is pretty much all returning guys. I did miss one player there. Logan Hammett was traded to the Vancouver Giants okay. as part of the uh, attempt to – get the 20-year-old situation resolved while it was a little bit easier to do so. You know, when you wait too long and you get into training camp and beyond, you start reaching a point where everybody's trying to resolve the 20-year-old situation. And if everybody's trying to do it at once, it becomes difficult for individual teams to get anything done. So mm -hmm. Logan Hammett was traded to Vancouver earlier in the summer, and that was another change. Okay, well, let's look closer at this year's uh, roster guys coming to camp. And uh, let's start off, when is uh, camp opening for Brandon? Well, the players will arrive throughout this week, and of course we've got a golf tournament coming up as well, but it's going to be September 1st when the on-ice sessions really begin. That's starting at 9.30 in the morning, and then for the next four days, they're on the ice pretty consistently. All right, well, that sounds pretty uniform across the league so far. Everybody seems to be starting on Friday. Uh, let's go with the goaltenders. Guys, come into camp. Uh, obviously, this is a position of strength for Brandon with Carson Bjarnist and Nick Jones. Who else is in the mix coming to camp, or is it really those two guys and uh, there'll be some support behind them but those will be the two guys that start the year in Brandon well Carson Bjarnason will be back as presumably the starting goaltender based on his play from last season I mean there's some stability there with him that I think a lot of teams would love to have he's going to be able to take a lot of the minutes like he did last season and as an 05 you know he's he's getting better he's only going to get more mature and more developed in the crease so that's a pretty stable area for the Wheat Kings as far as the other goaltending position is concerned, yep, Jones is back from last year. He'll be right there in the mix, but don't count on Ethan Eskett. Okay. He got into his first few games with the Wheat Kings last year. Actually, by coincidence, his first WHL start was in Prince Albert against the Raiders, and it ended up being a win. He took, uh, he took his very first goal against as a penalty shot by 20-year-old Keaton Sorensen. Not an easy welcome to the league, but he still finished with 30 saves on 33 shots. So he came out of that looking pretty good. He might be in the mix. All right, well, some competition in camp, that's a good thing. You want guys pushing each other. Well, absolutely, and especially goaltenders, they're such, even when they compete with each other, there's such a fraternal relationship there that that competition only does good things. With the defensive group that will be here, and you mentioned how many guys are coming back, uh, I mean, Caden Sandra Kang, the oldest guy that was on the roster last year, is he back as an 03 or at least uh, potentially as one of the 03s? Well, with the trade of Logan Hammett, that pretty well cemented the 0-3 situation here. So, yes, Caden Sadrakang will be back. Steady Eddie on the back end. Big guy. Decent physical edge. And 
as I recall from both his time in Swift Current and his time in Brandon, very hard to break in with possession against. He's not a guy who gives up the blue line easily, so he'll yeah. provide some stability back there. Well, big guy, and he's got lots of reach, six foot four, two hundred ish pounds. Uh, so that works to his advantage. Uh, what does the rest of the blue line look uh, in terms of guys coming to camp and uh, some of the names that people are going to take note of? I know Charlie Alec being one of them uh, as a draft-eligible player this year. Lots of focus on him. Fresh off a Halinka Gretzky Cup gold medal and probably pretty well thought of with the coming NHL draft. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of eyes on Charlie Alec this season, and I think he's looking forward to the opportunities and the challenges that's going to present. But before he can get started in the season in earnest, there's really a question of how the Wheat Kings are going to allocate power play time as far as blue liners go. They have a few guys who are pretty good at moving the puck, and they do, of course, have two forwards graduating from their top power play unit that at times ran five forwards last season. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how the defensemen earn their ice time and the special team side of things. As far as penalty killing goes, I know Charlie was a penalty kill fixture for Canada at the Lincoln Gretzky, so expect him to get some opportunities to earn responsibility there as well. The guy who I think has a lot of attention on him right now is Quinn Manti. First-round pick for the Wheat Kings from the 2020 Bantam Draft. And by the end of the season last year, he was taking minutes well above what you would expect a player his age to take. And the fact that he came away from all of it, you know, going up against the other team's best players night in and night out, and on a team that had a negative goal differential, he comes away as a plus 10. That's a pretty impressive run for him. Do you see him more as a defensive guy? Or is there, I mean, he's he had 25 points last year. Can he really... Uh, become that number one play, power play guy uh, for Brandon and, and see those numbers go way up? There's room for him to grow offensively, no question. But the defensive side of his game is solid, it's intelligent, and there's a bite to him as well. I've seen him throw some pretty nasty body checks. So he'll be good on the defensive side of the puck. If he can grow that offensive side, obviously that'll take him closer to being a number one defenseman at this level. That'll be huge. But as far as offense from the back end goes, you do have a couple of returning guys in Andre Malyevin and Luke Shipley, who were about a half point a game last year, which for a defenseman over a full season, that puts you in that 35-point range. If either or both of them can take a little bit of a step and get closer to that 40-point range, you feel a lot better about the puck-moving qualities of the back end. All right. Might be more of offense by committee, though, from the blue line group. There might not be just that one guy who's suddenly a 60-65 point guy uh, that we've seen uh, with some other teams. Probably not right now, although there's there's room for that to happen. I mean, Charlie Ellick was 16 last year. The growth from a 16- to 17-year-old season is often massive, so mm. you could look for him to put up some more numbers, and I think Quinn Manti will get some extra responsibility as well. It may be offense by committee, but I don't think anyone would complain if someone emerged as a go-to guy. All right, let's go to the uh, the forwards, and uh, I think you, you kind of mentioned with Sandra Kang on the back end, and I think the other two O3s who would be back would be uh, Brett Highland and Dawson Pasternak. Is that, would that be correct? That is correct. Those are the two guys, and uh, when they're on the ice, they'll be relied on for offense. No question about it. Highland, in particular, over a point per game last year, drafted by Washington. He was tracking for about a 40-goal season before the injury bug bit, so they'll be definitely looking to him to score goals. Uh, from the outside looking in, and I know you were on the outside like we were uh, last year, Brett Highland always seems to be like a uh, uh, a skilled pest. If uh, I don't know if that's uh, an accurate description from what you've seen, but I know when he and the, uh, the, the Wheat Kings would come through Edmonton, he always seemed to be a guy who was in the face of the opposition, likes to, to try to get under the opposition's skin, but also has some offensive upside that he was able to... Uh, to, to display it as well. What kind of an impression did Brett Highland make on you while you were in PA? The first time I ever saw Brett Highland play, he was a little bit further down the depth chart, and I knew of him 
because he'd been at development camp with the Los Angeles Kings and one of the Raiders players at the time, Landon Kozier, had been there as well. So I knew the points hadn't come for Highland yet, but knowing that he was on NHL radars, he had the sense that there was more to his game than he'd shown. And sure enough, at the time, the Wheat Kings were down a few bodies to injury, and they got to a shootout. And Brett Highland was the first guy they sent over the boards, and he pulled off a backhand, forehand, Patrick Kane-style move that left Raiders goalie of the time, Tikon Chaika, halfway out of the net. And I thought to myself, holy smokes, how does this guy not have more points? He's got the skill. He's got the drive. You mentioned he's a pest. I think the thing about him that agitates teams the most is you won't have a moment's peace when he's on the ice. Yeah. He just works. Yeah, and I think he, he's probably a pretty good trash talker, too. He, he looks like that type of player to me. But, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how he uh, handles this season with a lot more responsibility and probably higher expectations. Uh, and I could say the same for Nate Danielson, who had a heck of a year, obviously, as a, a top-10 draft pick for the uh, Detroit Red Wings, 78 points, 33 goals. Sky the limit with this guy? What do you expect from him this season? Well, you said no number one yet on the back end. I think it's safe to say there's a number one go-to guy up front, and yeah. Danielson is and has been that guy for some time. I mean, even last season in his pre-draft year, he was often the guy through which much of the offense flowed, and when Highland got hurt, a lot of that offense was resting on his shoulders. And that'll be the case to a degree this year. The Wheat Kings do have some depth up front, but he's still going to be relied on to be that guy who's probably well over a point per game, getting a ton of ice time every night on both both sets of special teams, all situations. He's the first guy over the boards in any kind of special situation. Okay, when you look at the rest of the group that, uh, that Brandon is bringing into camp, what stands out for you? Or, I mean, you're still getting to know this roster a lot better, obviously, but... There's a lot of guys who have what I would refer to as a good solid floor, the question is whether they can move on to that ceiling. So, for example, a guy like Ryland Roars, 19 goals in back-to-back seasons. Okay, find me a team that couldn't use 19 more goals. Right. That's a good, solid floor. Does he have it in him to take another step and get to that 25, maybe even 30-goal mark? There's Nolan Flamin. He's been about a 40-point guy the last couple of years. He was on pace for about 40 points with the Wheat Kings when he was traded from Kelowna. The big difference was, if you look through his whole career, and I'm talking going back to his Bantam years here, he's been an assist-heavy guy. His assists have always greatly outnumbered his goals. Last year with the Weekings, he had more goals than assists for the first time. So if he can develop that more well-rounded offense, start to score as well as setting other guys up, maybe he's a guy who can get to that 50-point mark. Mm. But if not, again, that 40-point floor is pretty acceptable. Most teams would like something along those lines. you got a lot of guys like that who you know what you're going to get at the low end, but if they can get to the high end, this offense can find another gear. Is there someone that's uh, maybe off the radar for for casual fans, maybe a guy who was a rookie last year or something, playing well down the depth chart, or maybe a 16-year-old coming in this year that uh, fans should expect to, uh, uh, to notice in camp? There's a few of each. It's hard not to notice Roger McQueen with his size. And again, coming off a gold medal at the Olinka Gretzky Cup like Charlie Ellick, he was excellent at the Olinka Gretzky. Roger was. I mean, scouts were raving about him, and rightly so. He was piling up points and playing in some really key minutes for the gold medal winning team. So he'll have some expectations on him to take another step this year, especially as a higher draft pick. I'm curious to see what he does with the potential openings in the top six with the departures of Anderson and Richie. There are minutes there to be claimed, and he would seem to be a prime guy to claim some of them. Another guy to keep an eye on as far as 16-year-olds go would be Joby Baumuller, a kid with a ton of goal-scoring skill. He was one of the best goal scorers for his age in Saskatchewan last year. He led Saskatchewan in points at the Canada Winter Games and generally did everything you want a 15-year-old to do in that developmental season, including scoring his first Western Hockey League goal when he was recalled. 
How do we pronounce his name? Bom, Joby Baumuller, at least. That's what I've got so far. We'll see if that's uh, I, that's the pronunciation I got uh, last season when he played against the Raiders. I believe okay. that is true, but I'll double-check that with him when he arrives for camp. That's interesting. Uh, Joby, I've never seen that first name, and Baumuller, I've never seen that last name either. So that's a, a unique one. That stands out for sure. Carter Klippenstein also uh, coming to camp this year, six foot two, and coming in as an 06. I mean, he's got the size already. Uh, I know he played a little bit last year, two or three games, I think, but as a third-round pick, I imagine he's another guy that's in that mix for uh, a rookie who maybe not an everyday player, but an almost everyday player type of guy. He'll definitely be expected to round out some of the depth. He's 6'2", and if you look at his elite prospects page, he's listed at around 165 pounds. By all accounts, that listing is out of date. He was here uh, for a prospects camp with the Wheat Kings, and according to people who saw him play at that event at the time, I was still in Prince Albert. Uh, he has packed on a lot of muscle, and he is willing to use it. He will throw his weight around. He will be hard to play against. I've been asking all the team broadcast guys so far that I've chatted with if there's one particular storyline or one aspect of the team that they're really waiting to see how it unfolds during training camp. Maybe a little bit different for you because it's a, it's a team you're, you're still getting to know on a uh, first-hand basis. Is there a storyline or a position or a question mark that you have going into camp where you're, you're just wanting to see how it all kind of works itself out? Well, we've kind of touched on it already, actually, and it was the, the defensive position for the Wheat Kings. The question is going to be, is this going to be a defense-by-committee team again, or does somebody have it in them to step up and be that number one go-to 25-plus minutes a night guy? Hmm. Quinn Manti took big steps in that direction last season, so he would be a guy that I think will have expectations on him in training camp. Same could be said for Charlie Alec. Again, you come off a gold medal and a performance in which you were clearly one of your team's best defensemen, there's going to be some pressure on you. But both those guys have the pedigree and have the skill to live up to that pressure. So the interesting thing will be seeing how big of a step they're able to take and how much further the blue line can go than last year. And lastly, Rob, expectations for the fan base. What would be reasonable for Wheaties fans to expect from this team after uh, they missed the playoffs last year? Is this a team that can get into the postseason this year? Or at least is that the target? Is that at the, the very minimum that, uh, that fans should uh, hope for? I think it's safe to say this team expects to be in the playoffs again, uh, but I'm going to be on that, pull a page out of my uh, my old GM, Curtis Hunt's book, and say, all I'll say is we'll get into the playoffs, and from there, anything can happen. That was Curtis's mantra when the new season began. We want to get into the playoffs, and from there, who knows? And I think for the Wheat Kings, they want to get into the playoffs, and they have the ability to do so, and we'll see if they're able to sneak into the dance or maybe go in with a home ice advantage. I think right about now, if you look at the Eastern Conference, there's a lot of openness there isn't quite to the same degree that there was last year that very obvious best team you don't have a, a Winnipeg Ice who were the pole-to-pole favorites so there are some points on the board to be claimed and I think the Wheat Kings are looking to claim as many as possible and maybe get in there with a home ice playoff spot you know I was asking some of the uh, U.S. division guys about you know when at Winnipeg moving to Wenatchee and how that changes the uh, the complexion of that division and the conference gets a little harder to make the playoffs in the Western Conference with that in mind, you look at the Eastern Conference, and is it just the opposite? Is, does it get a little easier now to make the playoffs? Not that it's easy, but easier. Well, it does, especially for the Wheat Kings, because not only are there fewer teams to play against, and of course you're playing your divisional opponents more, your fate is very much in your own hands more, you're taking away a team that you lost to 10 times last year. Right. If the Wheat Kings didn't play the Winnipeg Ice 10 times last year, like if they would have played pretty well any other team in the league that many times, and you give them even a sub-500 record, they would have made the playoffs. 
But as it is, you have to play 10 games against the Winnipeg Ice, who were in full-fledged, pedal-to-the-metal, go-for-it-now-and-darn-the-consequences mode. And when you lose those games, obviously it comes back to bite you in the standings. And with that out of the way, I think there's an opportunity for the Wheat Kings to claim some extra points. That's tough, eh, from a Brandon Wheat King perspective, where you go 0-10 against the, the, the Winnipeg Ice and a rival, provincial rival. But for Brandon, it, it was a non-playoff season, and Winnipeg was able to take advantage of that. Now when it's going to be reversed fortunes, as Winnipeg kind of goes the other way in their cycle, Brandon doesn't have that opportunity to inflict a, a lot of damage on an arch rival like that. So tough for uh, Brandon's perspective. Exactly what I was joking about the other day. I said they have the nerve to bail on the division <laughs> just as they were about to be at the wrong end of their cycle. But for the United States teams, uh, you know, Wenatchee is going to have some choices to make, obviously. I mean, yeah. with the Raiders, I saw Winnipeg an awful lot the last few years. Counting the playoffs, I think I saw them 19 times. But I'm familiar with that roster, and I know that there will be some tough choices to make over in Wenatchee about whether they want to have a really strong first season, maybe even contend a little bit, and then risk what the next few years are going to be like, or whether they want to push the big red button and get as many assets as possible for guys like Geeky and Savoy. Rob, it's always fun when Brandon comes to Edmonton. Those are uh, fun games to watch, and uh, it'll be great again this year. We'll see you uh, in downtown Edmonton when uh, Brandon rolls through town. Thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Guy, and I'm looking forward to seeing you this season. A look at the Brandon Wheat Kings through the eyes of a new play-by-play man, Rob Mann, and new, and that puts him at a disadvantage for a season preview like this. Hasn't seen that team on ice firsthand as a training camp just opening up this weekend. Uh, so that's why that segment, understandably, a little shorter uh, than what we've had so far with everybody else, because he doesn't uh, have a whole lot to say just yet. If I was to do that with him a month from now, probably a much different story. But we'll see with the Brandon Wheat Kings. They were a non-playoff team last year. Can they be a playoff team this year? I think they're in the hunt for the playoffs. I'm not going to say that they're a lock to be a playoff team. I think they're solid in net. Their blue line is good. I don't know if it's great. And I'm sort of in wait and see or show me mode when it comes to the forward depth. I think they got a good top line. They might have four or five forwards in total that I think can do some damage and carry the load. But will that be enough to get a team to the postseason? I'm not quite there yet. However, it's early, and if those guys gel and they come out of the gates well, it could be a different story. Thanks to Rob for uh, coming on the show and uh, doing his best here for a preview of the Wheat Kings. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Are you a big believer in the Wheat Kings this year? Tell me if you are, and if you are, tell me why. Listen, Last year, there were four teams that didn't make the playoffs in the conference. That would be Swift Current, Edmonton, Brandon, and Prince Albert. Well, one of the teams that did is Winnipeg. They're out of the conference, so that means now there's only three teams that you have to be better than to get in. really changes the complexion of the conference. Just one team less, and vice versa for the Western Conference makes it a little tougher, doesn't it? We will be looking at a Western Conference team in this episode. That will be the Kelowna Rockets. But before then, it's the Moose Jaw Warriors under the microscope with play caller James Gallo. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Woo! Down on the end boards. Brandon turns it over. Peck Ford comes around. As Woo shot, he scores! Chet Wu snaps it far side over the glove of Logan Thompson, and the Warriors have extended their lead. 
Hi, this is Jet Wu from the Moose Jaw Warriors, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, continuing to go across the Western Hockey League, uh, previewing the upcoming season as we stop in uh, town by town and go team by team. Now we continue on as we get to the uh, Moose Jaw Warriors. And uh, James Gallo is my guest, the uh, broadcast voice of the Warriors. Uh, James, always a treat when you're on the program. How are things in Moose Jaw? Great to have me on, Guy. It's great to hear your voice again. That means hockey season's rolling around here, <laughs> and uh, you're making quite the trek down the Trans-Canada head in East Bay from Brandon to Moose Jaw. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a busy time of year. Uh, you know, we try to get all of these in before the start of the regular season and because there's 22 teams in this league you have to start doing it you know before camps even open uh and so it's a it gets to be a little bit of a pressure cooker but uh, glad you were able to squeak this in and for listeners benefit we're talking on tuesday your camp begins well you get on ice uh, thursday and friday and this weekend uh, uh everything uh, full steam ahead right correct you betcha all right well, it's uh, this is a team that was really fun to watch last year. Lots of draft-eligible players, and uh, I think from the outside looking in, it was a team that could was expected to do a lot of damage and uh, had a pretty darn good year. In retrospect, how do you feel about the season, James? Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, I thought the East Division really tough last year um, from, from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, every night was a, was, was a hard night. Uh, in the East Division, especially down the stretch. I think, you know, going into the playoffs, you know, uh, good experience from the from the previous year, you know, able to beat Lethbridge in the first round. And then, you know, ran into the Winnipeg Ice in the second round for the second straight year. And I think for the second straight year, you know, Moose Jaw Warriors really tested Winnipeg. Um, you know, took them to six games. Uh, there was, you know, game four overtime. That's kind of the turning point in the series. But I, I think when you look back, you know, players took steps in their development, which is what you want to see. I think mm-hmm. the organization went, uh, you know, in the right direction. So you just want to see the positive move forward. And I think that's probably the expectation this year, just positive steps forward from what you accomplished last year. All right. Well, before we can look too much at uh, this year's roster, let's reflect on who's not back from the playoff roster in uh, this past spring. And, of course, every team loses their 2002-born players for Moose Jaw. 
some big names. Uh, Ryder Korzak no longer with the club. Uh, Logan Dowhaniak and uh, net miner Connor Unger. Uh, who else from last year's playoff roster is not back, James? Not back. Uh, you'd have a couple of 20-year-olds. There's four 20-year-olds uh, in camp right now, that being Eric Ulrey, uh, Josh Hoekstra, Atlee Calvert, and Lucas Brenton. Not back. You would have you know, Max Warner, signed prospect for the Edmonton Oilers, likely right. not back. Martin Rice, savvy the 20-year-old import. He'll be at the Columbus Blue Jackets camp looking to either get an NHL or American League deal. And then not back with the organization would be Robert Bacco, uh, import forward, and Riley Niven, the uh, the forward from Awoda, Saskatchewan. All right, so, so that's a lot of changes up front, uh, especially, and uh, a big name on the blue line there in Max Warner, uh, let alone Logan Dowhanek. So there'll be some changes in Musha, but uh, that uh, that means there's opportunities for some young players. Let's get to know the roster a bit with uh, players who are coming to camp. With Connor Unger gone, Jackson Unger uh, seems to be the uh, the go-to guy in net. Who else is uh, coming to camp to make that position uh, a little bit interesting? Yeah, no more confusion with Unger with an A and Unger with an E. It's just That's Unger right. with an E now, just Jackson Unger. And you know what? I think I think Jackson, a lot of excitement, I think, for Jackson. It's a big year for him. Um, I think he's going to get the ball. Um, this will be he's going into his second full season with the organization at 18 years old and he's a third round pick I think he has the opportunity uh, to really excel this year behind him you've got 17 year old Dimitri Fortin uh, who was signed late last season and you know as you go through camp there's goaltending is always one that that it is always focused in on mm-hmm. another guy to possibly watch is uh, Edmonton prospect goalie Josh Benini had an injury last year playing uh, AAA or U18 in Alberta, uh, had a good year before the injury, came back in the playoffs, wasn't bad as well. Uh, he might be a guy that might try and push for the backup spot. I think that's probably the biggest question mark that a lot of people in Moose are talking about is goaltending. But but right now, I think you got to pencil in Jackson Unger, number 30, as your starting goaltender. And I think, uh, like I said, I think Jack really has the opportunity to excel. Came into the camp, he's really hyper-focused, and I'd like to see that. And uh, we'll see how things go when the season starts. I, I remember one of the Ungers was nicknamed Boog. Is that Jackson? That is that is, that is Jackson, yeah. Don't ask me where the name came from. Uh, when I hear the name Boog, um, it being because of our age, he, and I'm going to date you as well, I think of Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. I think of, of the character Booger. Yeah. Uh, that is not, in fact, what it's about. I can confirm that 100%. That has no... These guys are too young to know what that show was, yeah. uh, so that has nothing to do with it. But but Boog is Jackson Unger. All right, perfect. Uh, well, we look for an exciting camp there at the goaltending position in uh, Jackson Unger, uh, looking to be the, the starting net miner for Moose Jaw this year, but some competition behind him. That's terrific. You want guys pushing each other at camp, don't you? 100% in every position. Every position. You want to see how the veterans come into camp because – Again, way back when, training camp for veterans was where they came to get to come into shape. Right? You ask alumni guys, that's what they say. You know, 15, 20 years ago, training camp was about coming to get into shape. Now these guys come into shape. So the veterans need to push to show that they've developed and can have the extra, you know, opportunities and, and roles. And you want those young guys to push them hard to see, you know, if they can leapfrog them in the depth chart, you know, to try and fight for ice time. Competition is healthy not just in preseason training camp, but in the regular season. You always want to be pushing. You compete with other teams, but you got to compete within your own as well to see you know, kind of where you fit in. All right, well, when we go to the blue line, obviously Denton Matejcik would be the marquee player on the back end. Uh, and with Dahanik and Warner now moving on, we expect Warner to be gone. 
uh, Lucas Brenton, the uh, the graybeard veteran on the back end, and and Matt Gallant. But then there's a bunch of guys who at this point last year were were rookies uh, with the team. So kind of a young blue line, despite the fact that you've got some uh, veteran presence back there. Uh, how do you describe this group coming in? You know, I think it, I don't know if I could put a word to describe the group. I think again, it's it's one of those things where you want to see how some of the younger guys developed. I think the the, the known commodities are, are Matejchuk and Brenton. I think that's what people will know. Matthew Gallant ended the season really strong, played really well in the back half last year, played well in the playoffs. You want to see him continue on that trend. And then, you know, Cosmo Wilson was the team's rookie of the year last year on the back end, uh, played exceptionally well in his first full season in the Western Hockey League. You want to see how he's developed. Sam Borshwa joined the team, you know, in kind of uh, late March and for the playoffs. You know, big kid from McTaggart, Saskatchewan, has that big frame. Um, you know, you want to see how he looks. And then, you know, past that, you, you just never know, right? I mean, you have to look at, you know, Brady Ness, who would be a 17-year-old rookie in the league. He's another big guy uh, from Sedgwick, Alberta, played last year with the Edmonton Junior Oilers Orange. Uh, good numbers on the back end. He spent a lot of time in and out with the Warriors last year. I think a lot of eyes will focus in on Connor Schmidt. He was the Warriors' first-round pick in 22. Uh, spent last year with OHA Penticton. Had a really good year. Actually led his team in scoring. And, you know, kind of early looks at Connor. He looks the part. Not going to lie to you on that one. I think he, he looks the part. Uh, we want to see him play the part, which uh, that comes with time. But um, I think. There's a lot there to try and mold with the younger guys, but they got to be led uh, specifically by Matejchuk and Brenton. They got to be the anchors. You know, Matejchuk's going to log 30 minutes a night. Can Brenton log that much? They're going to play the big hard minutes. And then, you know, can Gallant do the same thing? Can Borshaw and Wilson kind of do the same thing because they have more experience and how to Ness and Schmidt kind of come along? I think work in progress maybe might be a term to use the defense, but there are a lot of good components there to start off the season. Well, and I noticed Brady Ness listed at six three and two hundred pounds. So this he's like sixteen, seventeen years old. And it's square, right? And just square up top. Yeah, seventeen years wow. old uh, is Brady. Uh, you know, he's he's tall. Uh, he, he's big. Um, you kind of you kind of want to see if he can be that that new era Lucas Brenton, right? Like Lucas last year, you really saw how he used his wingspan to his advantage. Hmm. Uh, he played a gritty and he played a physical game. You want to see Brady come in and play that type of game as well. Connor Schmidt is more along the lines of a Denton Matejchuk type of player, right. just with kind of similar size, similar style. You know, can can Brenton kind of mold, help mold Ness into being that, you know, that hard defenseman to play against, you know, not just in the future, but later on as the season goes by. Because Brady Ness is going to get his time. He just has to, you know, practice hard. And when you get into the games, you got to play hard. All right, well, let's go to the forward group and uh, some notable names, obviously, that casual fans even will will recognize. And uh, assuming everybody is back, that would be Jagger Furcus and Brayden Jagger up, up front. Uh, but there's a lot of other talent as well, and I believe you mentioned uh, that a couple of the uh, the 20-year-olds that are back with the team are also up front in uh, Atlee Calvert and uh, Eric Allery, and those are two guys you can really build around uh, as well up front. Yeah, I mean, those are four guys that you just named that are, that are probably four of your top six. Yeah. You know, outside in, you'd have to assume that. Um, you know, we know a lot about Jaeger. We know a lot about Furcus. Atlee Calvert really broke out last year. You know, 40 goals for Atlee last year, 73 points. Uh, that 40 goals uh, broke a 30-year record for goals by a Moose Jaw-born warrior, uh, passing Dave Baruch's mark uh, from 0102, I believe. Atlee plays a hard game down the wing. He goes to those dirty areas. Uh, he's a big part. 
Eric Alry, first round pick in 2018 for the Warriors, you know, again, has that big, uh, sturdy frame, uh, got, you know, banged up in the playoffs last year, which was unfortunate. Uh, you kind of missed his size. He's got a great shot. And, you know, in his final year in the Western Hockey League, you want to see how he can push to maybe get a free agent contract as the season goes on. So, you know, again, those four guys are probably guys that a lot of people will focus in on just for the obvious reason. They're veterans and they're asked to produce. Now, most teams lose, you know, they, when they lose their 20-year-olds and uh, maybe another guy that's going turning pro, it might mean three of their top five scorers are gone or something. But that's the opposite here for Moose Jaw. I mean, your, your club was led by some of their younger players, including Ferkus and Jagger, but Calvert, Matejczyk, that's four of your top five scorers. And I'll rewrite there as well, five of your top six all coming back. I mean, that's, that's huge for a team. That's big. I mean, there's a lot of familiarity in that locker room. And I think a lot of last year and a lot of this year started in that hub, started at the university of Regina, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years ago, it's a very tight knit group in the older players. And they've done a good job over the past year and a half, you know, bringing these young players into the core and helping them to develop understanding, you know, how we do things in Musha, how they are asked to practice, how they're asked to play familiarity is a big thing. I mean, the Moose Jaw Warriors go into camp, Gee, which is one player acquired through trade. Wow. Just one player acquired through trade. So these are guys that have grown up together and they want to succeed together. And, you know, up front, it starts with the first four that you mentioned, and there's a long list of other guys that are ready to contribute with bigger roles this year. Well, and that's where I was going next. Guys who were maybe third or fourth liners last season suddenly become middle six and maybe even see some power play time and stuff like that. Uh, who who comes to mind when I frame it that way? Uh, for me, i, I got to start with Ethan Seminuk. Um, You know, Ethan was uh, was a forward that came to Moose Jaw in the Merrick Howell trade from the Vancouver Giants. You know, 12 goals, 22 points last year in 54 games. I think he has the potential to really break out. Uh, plays with a lot of speed, is my understanding. Obviously, didn't see a lot of Ethan last year just because he only played the, the Western Conference once a year. Um, there's guys like Ben Reich, who was, who was a second-round pick in 2020. Great shot, knows the game. You know, can he take his next step? Harper Lawlicker is another guy that you want to focus in on as well. Can he you know, excel in the role that he's asked to give? And I think another guy to really watch is Lyndon Lakovich. He's 17 years old. He's got a late birthday. I mean, Lyndon doesn't turn 17 until middle of December. He's the youngest player on the Warriors roster, barring any you know 16-year-olds that come in. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid has got size. He's got speed. He's got skill. Um, he plays with some grit and he's a guy that if the ball starts rolling on for him, wow, look out. I think he's got everything that NHL scouts want to see. Of course, that late birthday, not eligible till the following year in 25, but Lyndon Lakovich could be one of those players that, you know, middle of the season, you're saying, wow, look out. He's got every tool to be successful. It's just, can he, can he put it all together here in a sophomore year? Six foot three, uh, man, I, so young and that big already. I don't know what they're uh, putting in the water for these kids these days. <laughs> no doubt. I'm 6'3", standing on a two-foot box. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and Lennon's such a great kid. I, I, I've enjoyed every opportunity I've had to talk to this young man. I, I just think the world of him, um, I, you know, I think he has the makings to excel. Um, and then we didn't even talk about the imports as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, two brand-new imports for the Moose Jaw Warriors and Andre Tomasek and Patrick Call, uh, Crawl, sorry. Uh, Tomasek, you know, was the Warriors' first-round pick. Crawl was the second-round pick. 
both with opportunities to excel, but you know, how do they transfer over from overseas? It takes some time, right? With 17 year old imports, I think that should be expected, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tools. There's a, there's a lot of weapons potentially at head coach Marco Leary's disposal. I think the offense could be something really exciting to see. And then if you throw Denton Matejchuk on the ice for half the game, he sometimes he's like having a fourth forward out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, this could be an exciting team to watch at times, I believe. Well, I know going into camp, there's always a storyline worth following or maybe a bit of a question mark. How is this going to play out or who's going to gravitate to this role? Is there one such topic that you're most intrigued by uh, learning what the answer is uh, through camp? Um, you know, I think I would have to go back to goaltending, you know, and I think it's it's just to see, you know, how things kind of progress through camp, how things progress through, you know, the, the preseason and, of course, the start of the regular season. Um, that might be one thing that I think a lot of the people in the community are hyper-focused in on. Um, for me, I, I want to see the demeanor, right? I want to see, because I've talked about the familiarity and the fact that although this team can be considered a little bit on the younger side, they're very, very familiar with each other. They know the expectations that they have. And, and, and I want to see how this team comes in from the start. Is it business-like or is it, you know, having fun a little bit? We'll see. But I want to see how those veterans get these guys going right from when the puck drops in the first practice. I think that's very important to see from this organization this year. James, we always end it with uh, what reasonable expectations are for a team uh, for the fan base, what what the fans should expect. Now, this is a team, as you mentioned, got to the, the second round against Winnipeg. Uh, they, they've lost, what, four or five forwards, two veteran defensemen, and they're starting netminder from last year. But They've got so much talent. What's reasonable expectations for the Warriors this year? Reasonable expectations. Uh, the Mooshaw Warriors will play 68 games. <laughs> I'm expecting them to play 68 games. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I, uh, you know, I think, I think this team, you know, I think the reasonable expectation is, is to make the playoffs. I think, I think you start there. It's to go through the regular season healthy. I think it's, it's to, to, to be one of the top eight in the Eastern Conference and see where things go from there. There's so much that can happen over the next six months. Um, we'll see. I, I think the one thing, too, is that there's no super teams mm-hmm. coming into this season that I could see. So I think I think there's a lot of parity in the league. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that think that they're that they're close. Maybe Moose Jaw is one of those teams. And it's, you know, how do you excel at the start and in the middle before the trade deadline to try and, you know, nudge your general manager to say, yeah, Let's 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 buy 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 because because we're close. So uh, I think it's tough. I think I think the Moose Jaw Warriors' expectations are probably similar to to a lot of teams where you know they they think that uh, you know you want to be a playoff team and then where you go from there we'll see. But I think it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a very interesting year. I think if people are making predictions about who's standing at the end, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be tough because it could be. 10 different teams, I think. It, it's, it's very, this is probably, this is probably one of the most interesting years that I've seen in a long, long time. Because if you think back to probably the last, you know, let's go back to, you know, 17, 18, where, you know, Swift, Regina, and Moose Jaw were all loaded to the gills. Right. I mean, you know, since then, there, there's always been like one or two teams that are like, yeah, it's their year. Like they're, they're running. There's no questions about it. This year, you could probably name 10. And I love it. That means every game matters, and uh, there's going to be a lot of 
expectations from fans, coaches, and general managers for teams to try and live up to that potential as well. So it's going to be a fun year. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, parody's great. It keeps everything exciting. Fans are engaged all season long. There aren't going to be teams or, or the fans for those teams that are like, oh, it's November, we're already out of it. Uh, I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it this year. I think you're right. Uh, you take Winnipeg out of the conference, send them to Wenatchee, and uh, it gets a not easier to make the playoffs, but you only got to be better than three teams to make the playoffs, and and I think that's sometimes how you know how fans will look at it. You got to be better than three teams to make the playoffs, and yeah. then when you get to the real season, anything can happen. And in a year, going into a year that we have right now, again, I think there's half the league that thinks that they could be the last team standing, and I truly believe there's a lot of teams that could do that, and I think it's great. I think the more teams that that are able to be in that situation, it just it's better for the teams, it's better for the fans, and it's better for the league. Now, don't get me wrong, by January 10th at 4 o'clock mm-hmm. uh, Central Standard Time for us, uh, that could change a lot. But until we get there, I think uh, there's a lot of people that are, not that they weren't before, but that are really invested to see what happens this year because you just don't know. And then like, throw them the fact that, that you know maybe there's guys that stick in NHL teams. Maybe they stick longer than what expected. Maybe there's guys that are 20 years old, like Ryder Korzak last year, and are returned right. to their Western Hockey League teams. And when Ryder came back last year, that was a huge turning point for this organization. They got a top six forward for free. Yep. And so there's a lot of question marks. And I just I think it's I think it's a great year where it, everybody's going to be really focused in because there's a lot of teams that look really good. And although super teams are fun to watch. I think it's nice when there when there isn't any because it means more teams are really looking and saying, "Hey, this could be our year." James, this is terrific. I really appreciate it, and looking forward to seeing uh, Moose Jaw this season. Should be a fun year, and uh, we'll see you when you come into Edmonton. Anytime, Dean. Again, as always, I just want to say thanks because I think the Pipeline Show does a great job uh, for the Western Hockey League, uh, not just promoting the teams but promoting the players. And I think that's the big thing. Uh, that's why we do a lot of this is, is for the boys, and I think you do a great job promoting the boys. So just thanks for us, uh, Gee, for doing that, and looking forward to see what you do for the guys again this year. James, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Anytime, bud. Anytime. There is James Gallo, and always a great guy to have on the show, not because he likes to pump the tires of the program at the end, but that's awfully kind of him to say, isn't it? I think he does a wonderful job calling games, really exciting, gets passionate, great goal calls. Warriors fans, you should consider yourselves lucky. In fact, there's a lot of really good play-by-play guys in the Western Hockey League. Who's your favorite play-by-play guy in the WHL? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. I know my next guest would get a lot of votes, that's for sure. It's Regan Bartell of the Kelowna Rockets. It's been a tough summer for the Okanagan. What's winter going to be like? We'll find out next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Luke Shun of the Kelowna Rockets. Hey, it's Madison Bowie. Miles Bell. Nick Merkley. Hey, I'm Leon Dreisaitl. Hey, it's Tyson Bailey. This is Mitch Wheaton. Hi, this is Tyrell Goldburn from the Kelowna Rockets, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Rocket Man, burning out of fuse out here 
Sarah from Buford loves Wilhawk beef jerky. My husband is an expressive fan, prone to waving his arms about, which is unfortunate for those next to him. And the snacks. Do you know how hard it is to get salsa out of carpet? It was a miracle when I found Wilhawk beef jerky. No more crushed chips strewn about or toppled dips. A fistful of jerky can be waved about with a little mess to clean up later. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, we continue on with our team-by-team previews. We've done Medicine Hat, we've done uh, Moose Jaw, we've uh, done the Brandon Wee Kings this week, and our next stop on the tour is in Kelowna to uh, talk about the Rockets. And uh, my guest this uh, this week, of course, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, that would be Regan Bartell. Uh, Regan, welcome back to the program. How are things in Kelowna right now? Well, things are looking up, uh, but yeah, I think a lot of people, it's well documented, the fires we had here in the Okanagan Valley about, you know, 11 to 12 days ago where we had, we didn't have one fire, Gee, we had three. We had one that started in West Kelowna, then some embers jumped ship and went all the way across Okanagan Lake, which uh, width is about five kilometers. So that those embers, those burning embers going to Kelowna, start a fire there. And a couple of guys impacted. Dylan Whiteman of the Kelowna Rockets, who's a 20-year-old, he was evacuated from his home. Tyler Myers, a former member of the Kelowna Rockets, now current Vancouver Canuck, he was evacuated from his home hmm. along with a lot of people. And then we had another fire that was in what is known as Lake Country, which is further down the road north. And so, end of the day, you have about 189 homes either damaged or destroyed by fire. And so, let's just say, the last couple of weeks have been, uh, there's been a lot of anxious people, obviously, people displaced from their homes, people that have lost their homes. And I think everybody just saying, hey, let's, uh, let's throw summer 2023 out the window, mm-hmm. and let's get ready for the fall, because we need some rain, we need colder temperatures. Well, and I know following you on Twitter, as there, as most people do, and people should, at Regan Rant, uh, you, I mean, I think you were evacuated from your home too, weren't you? Weren't you staying in your RV? Yeah, I was, yeah. How scary is that? You, you, I've been here since 2000, so I was here for the 2003 Okanagan uh, Mountain Park fire. And that's the fire that destroyed 230 homes in Kelowna. So it all started in that Okanagan Mountain Park, and then it slowly made its way into Kelowna. And again, it was crazy times then. But you And you hear people being evacuated, but you never really feel it yourself, right? Mm, and right. so when you finally get the knock on your door and you're told to leave immediately because the fire is encroaching on your property... Um, it's a real weird feeling because you don't know. I mean, you're trying to get the belongings or what you believe to be your valuables. You're trying to get them quickly into your vehicle. You're trying to get your trailer, you know, hitched up to your truck so you've got somewhere to stay for who knows how long you're going to be, you know, evacuated for. Mm-hmm. And you don't know at the end of the day, Guy, and I know the firefighters do such a tremendous job, but do you return to to an open pit where your you know your home has been destroyed by fire and just that empty feeling that you know you just don't know what's going to happen it i really feel for those that again will return to their homes will find them totally destroyed and yeah you can have home insurance but at the end of the day there's a lot of memories in your home residence that uh, you, you can't erase and by seeing it destroyed by fire uh, this has got to be extremely painful. Yeah, that's that's really scary. And you were telling me that the fire is still listed as out of control, but it's 
not threatening the city anymore. So I guess there's good and bad with that. Yeah, for sure, right? I mean, it's amazing. As I'm on my deck, as I'm talking to you today, I mean, it's like a, I see helicopters with, um, you know, buckets. They're trying to, you know, throw water onto, the, onto these hot spots. And so you have this aerial show <laughs> for, the, for the last week. Yeah. And so, again, it, it just tells you that even the smoke in the area, that we're not, we are clearly not out of the woods yet. The good news is more people are slowly being allowed back into their homes and give the firefighters, you know, a, a real high five here. Those fighting on the ground, those fighting in the air, and especially personnel from across B.C., right? This wasn't just a Kelowna, West Kelowna, Lake Country thing. I mean, there were different fire departments that came to the aid of what's happening here in the Okanagan Valley. So just to see these firefighters, you know, with, uh, I mean, all across the province and even outside the province coming here to just uh, help out the situation. Uh, again, firefighters, when I see them, they, what they get paid, they deserve that and more because they're just such a valuable tool, especially here in BC. Absolutely. All right. Well, to talk hockey at a time like this might sound a little uh, silly, but uh, <laughs> let's use it as a positive distraction and we'll, we'll get to the hockey stuff now. And I, I should say... You know, camp is opening for everybody this weekend. With everything that's gone on in Kelowna, has that affected the hockey schedule at all for the Rockets? I was wondering about that too, Guy, because uh, Prospero Place, which is the home of the Kelowna Rockets, it was being used as a uh, emergency center, if you want to put it that way. So those that were evacuated from their homes, uh, they were basically taking refuge in that building. So what they did is they put some plywood on the ice. Yeah, the ice was intact. They put the ice in a week prior to the fire starting, and then you had the these uh, people evacuated literally staying inside Prospero Place where they could get, uh, well, not necessarily a good night's sleep, but you could obviously, you know, get some other services in which you need, whether it be clothing or food. And so there was, yeah, that thought that maybe they'd have to take the start of training camp, maybe, you know, to the CN Center, which is another arena in the Mission area of Kelowna. So it's a little deeper into the, you know, the, the city of Kelowna. There's a, a nice arena there where you see the pros work out on a consistent basis. So maybe mm-hmm. But, you know, the Rockets would have to take it there. But, again, at the end of the day, uh, no, the ice remains intact, no damage done. And, again, everybody allowing back into their homes. So training camp indeed will start. But I know there's a lot of, as rookie camp starts, I know there's a lot of concerned parents, right? They're coming to Kelowna just hoping that uh, the air quality improves and that the fire danger is low. Okay, well, let's get to the uh, the team and everybody that's coming to camp. And uh, the most up-to-date roster I have available right now would be the playoff roster from uh, this past spring. Uh, so we know the uh, the O2 born players who aren't back with the team, of course. That would be uh, Adam Kidd up front, along with uh, Carson Golder uh, and uh, uh, goaltender Talon Boyko. Uh, who else from uh, the, the playoff roster this past spring is not back with the Rockets? Uh, Regan? Yeah, it'd be Elias Carmichael back on defense. He was traded to the Red Deer Rebels. He would have been a 20-year-old this year. And so I thought, uh, you know, from a Rocket perspective, that they would, you know, they had an abundance of young defensemen. So they thought maybe it'd be best to move out this veteran. He had the most... Uh, games played in a Rocket uniform back on defense, you know, hitting it last year. So there was an abundance of experience there. So he'll get uh, a chance to play as a 20-year-old with the Red Deer Rebels. Outside of that, you talked about Boyko, you know, moving on to pro. He was a signed player by the New York Rangers. And I think it was a even a tough pill for him to swallow last year, right, being sent back to Major Junior. He was essentially the Rockets' number one goaltender. But as we saw in the playoffs last year, and I'm sure we'll get into goaltending here in a second, mm-hmm. uh, Yari Kikkanen did take over the goaltending duties against Seattle. 
Seattle in that opening round playoff series. So Adam Kidd plays at the University of Calgary. Carson Golder is going to give it a shot at pro. But, boy, those are some massive losses for the Rockets. Those are essentially, what, three of your top four, or at least two of your three top goal getters or point getters from last season. So, again, the Rockets will have problems scoring goals. But, hey, there's some pretty good guys that hopefully uh, will pull on the chain a little bit harder this year. All right. Well, that's why we're going through this uh, by position. And uh, we can start net with, uh, and now you mentioned it's Gary Kickinen, who sounds like he's from Finland, but he's from Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. Uh, who else is uh, coming to camp uh, at that position that's uh, going to try to push him? I knew you were going to ask me that question, so I tried to do some research, and you want to know what? I came up empty-handed because there's really not a goaltender, like a backup goaltender. You can say, okay, this guy's got a real good chance of being Yari Kikkanen's backup. Mm. But clearly, Yari Kikkanen is going to carry the mail this year, and he, he made 33 appearances uh, last season, Guy, and he was actually pretty good. When you take a look at the fact that, you know, Talon Boyko was playing pro or was trying to cut his teeth in pro hockey last year. So Yari Kekkonen started the first six games of the regular season before Boyko, you know, came back. And it was interesting looking at some of the data, even with Yari Kekkonen and the amount of shots he faced among all the goaltenders in the WHL with less than 35 appearances, Yari Kekkonen faced the most shots per game on average. So the Rockets allowed a lot of quality shots on goal. Their goaltenders really had to come up large last year. We saw that with a bit of a younger defensive core. They're going to have to shore that up in a big way. So Yari Kikkanen, clearly the number one goaltender. He should be. He's 19. I mean, he's been playing second fiddle here to Boyko the last two seasons. It's time for him to take the baton. But again, I can't give you a name. I'm, I mean, they're going to bring some goaltenders to camp, clearly. Right. But again, I can't name a goaltender that's going to be an adequate backup maybe they, they trade for one we'll have to wait and see well and with kicking in i mean it was four games and out in the playoffs for the rockets but he played in three of them had a 3.04 goals against but a 924 save percentage that's against the seattle thunderbirds you know he was getting peppered with shots you know a 924 save percentage in the postseason that's pretty darn good on a team that was swept that's the thing, right? I look at that number, and to me, that's always the key. It's not goals against average yep. so much as save percentage. You know, get that save percentage over 900, and uh, you're okay. You take a look at his body of work, though. As I said, 33 appearances last year during the regular season. I think both Boyko and Kikkanen had subpar 900, you know, save percentages. So mm-hmm. that's got to be a whole lot better. But again, it was the quality of chances the Rockets gave up last year. And, and to me, it was clearly obvious early on in the year that the Rockets, yeah, good and dynamic in the offensive zone but just had a real struggle of i don't know if it was even exiting the zone it was just you know turnovers i think basically was the problem here and that created the glorious offensive chances that the other teams had and that's where boyko and kicking in i mean hey if you're off early on you know you kind of get buried early because the rockets were a team that also had a hard time generating offense so hopefully kicking in is not as busy this year and uh, the priority a bit more is on defense well, and that's where we're going next. And uh, you were talking about a fairly young blue line in the playoffs uh, last year with uh, Carmichael not back. Uh, who becomes that de facto leader back there? I'm guessing it's Caden Price, the Seattle uh, Kraken uh, draft pick. But uh, what's your perspective? You are correct, sir. Yeah, he's going to be the man. He's really going to have to carry the mail. He's going to have to be really stellar back there, and he's a real good defenseman. I just like the maturity of this player, and I like the fact that he hates to lose. 
And you'll say to yourself, well, what athlete at this level hates to lose? Well, there's some guys that have a lot more care than others, and I think I would put Caden Price in that category. Again, here's a guy that really holds his play to a very high standard, and I think he can take more of a leadership role. And what I'd like to see from him this year, and he's not going to be the dynamo offensive guy, but I want to see him skate with the puck a bit more. I want to see him rush the puck a bit more. And I don't know if the coaching staff have told him last year to kind of slow it down, just make that nice outlet pass, make the safe play. But again, I'd like to see him just join the attack a little bit more this year. And you look at Jackson D'Souza. If you talk about a defensive defenseman, he's probably your guy. But in saying that last year, he's going to come in as a 20-year-old, had a real good 19-year-old campaign. He had career-high goals and points. He's a big body out there. He's got a great long reach. He's almost six foot five, an American-born boy who just has a, he has that certain something. You interview him, and he's got that uh, – uh, he's got the confidence level that you like to see in an athlete, mm-hmm. and I think, again, he can take a leadership role, as can all overages in the WHL. You don't want to see these, these 20-year-olds being innocent bystanders. So to me, Jackson D'Souza, great defensively. Caden Price, force the issue a bit more in the offensive zone, and I think the Rockets will generate way more goals than they did last year, where that defensive core, again, had a hard time scoring goals, which was very... Odd, considering the year prior with Tyson Feist and Jake Lee, the team, those two guys alone, almost scored 40 goals between them. So it was crazy. Then you've got guys who are maybe third pairing or not everyday players on the blue line for the Rockets last year who will be expected to take that next step. Who comes to mind? Yeah, John Babcock, I think, is a good example, right? Big Johnny B back there on defense. He's a, a real steady guy, doesn't, not a lot of flash and dash in his game. But again, you know, he's pretty smart with a puck. I don't think he's, he can play a physical game because he's a big body. In fact, I think he's the heaviest uh, blue liner returning for the Rockets at just over 200 pounds. It's amazing how, you know, these junior players, they're, they're not as heavy as they once were. Usually you had a defensive core where you'd have maybe four guys that are over 200 pounds, but the Rockets were a little light in that category but yeah for John Babcock man win the pox in the corners win the battles in the corners be real physical uh, in front of the net and again you don't have to fight this isn't a game of fighting anymore I mean it's, it's thrown to the wayside mm-hmm. I think one thing the Rockets though, have to do even from a defensive course standpoint is take fewer penalties the Rockets took the most penalties or they uh, look at the body of work they were the only team in the WHL with over a thousand minutes in penalties and so that's got to improve as well so you've got to be better with your positioning, no stick fouls, none of this hooking, none of this tripping, whatever, interference. You've got to be a whole lot smarter because the Rockets are shorthanded the most of any team in the WHL last year, and so that's got to, that's got to really improve in a big way for them to have success. That's not a recipe for, uh, for success. Uh, you're right. You've got to stay out of the box. You can't give, keep giving the opposition uh, time with the man advantage, that's for sure. How significant was the trade of Colton Dawkins changing the organization, the complexion of the organization last year, Regan? It was massive. It had to be done, first of all. But again, you know, you had your team captain, you had this offensive catalyst. He made everybody, and I hate to use, I hate to use that term. He made everybody around him better. You hear that all the time. But really, that was the case with Colton Dock. So once he was dealt, and again, you had to get a first round pick which they did in the Colton Dog deal. But again, did it just put more pressure on the Adam Kids, Gabriel Stutz, Andrew Crystal, 
you know, throw anybody in the mix that had any offensive uh, prowess and just put more pressure on their shoulders. So, again, good deal, good move by the organization. But, again, the team would have scored more goals, clearly. They probably would have had more push at the end to maybe get into seventh and avoid Seattle in the opening round. But, again, you can't cry over spilled milk. And uh, Colton Dock, again, pretty good captain of the Rockets, marquee player. Um, but uh, the organization get a first-round pick in the process. So uh, I like the trade overall. Regan Bartell, the uh, longtime voice now of the uh, Kelowna Rockets, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, which station? Uh, is it the Lizard still with the uh, broadcast rights for the Rockets? It is the Lizard. Yeah, we're going into year number two. We're with Patterson Media. And again, if you want all, you want to know everything about the Kelowna Rockets, rocketfan.ca. Go to that website, rocketfan.ca. And uh, we have articles up there all the time. And uh, we're looking forward to year number two. Excellent. Uh, let's go to the uh, forwards uh, for the Rockets uh, this year. And uh, with Kidd and Golder gone, uh, still some talent up front. Obviously, Andrew Crystal will be the marquee player, uh, especially after the uh, the NHL draft where he was uh, taken by the Washington Capitals. Uh, but uh, we'll maybe expand on him. What do you expect from Crystal this year post-NHL draft? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he comes in and just how he plays, right? I mean, he's such a, I mean, he's the, the guy that leads the Rockets, you know, offensively. He's the guy that kind of stirs the drink. It's a matter of who will be his line mates this year, Guy. I guess that's the, the key cause for concern. He did have a lot of chemistry with Adam Kidd. He also, you know, did real well with Gabriel Stutz who is a 20-year-old now in the WHL. He's a European-born player, and he was not drafted in the NHL draft this summer, so... It'll be interesting to see if, indeed, Gabriel Stutz returns uh, to the Rockets as an overager. The Rockets haven't carried a European-slash-20-year-old player for some time. In fact, I'm trying to look back at the memory banks. I think it was Jan Fadrini when he was acquired from the Brandon Weekings in the early 2000s. That's the last time the Rockets had a, a two-spotter, a European-slash-overage forward. So if Gabriel Stutz would return, that would be massive for uh, Andrew Crystal because, again, the chemistry is there. And then you throw in, of course, T.J. Ginla, who was acquired from the Seattle Thunderbirds. That was a trade consummated in June. That's a big one. He's 17 years of age. He's going to get frontline minutes. I would like to see if Stutz does return. you got Gabriel in the middle, and you've got you know, your wingers, which would be a Ginla and obviously Crystal. To me, that trail could create some magic. We'll have to wait and see. But again, Andrew Crystal needs some good line mates. He can do a lot of good things on his own. But again, you check him, you shut down the Rockets offense. You got to be more than just a one-trick pony. I'm sure that's the case. With a Ginla coming in, obviously a name that everybody's going to recognize. Some pressure that probably goes along with uh, playing in Kelowna with that name bar. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a good guy, though. I had a chance to, uh, this was weird, but it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had a chance to go out to uh, Aginla's Lake Country home, and we played basketball. We shot a video out there, and what I like to about T.J. Ginla is the fact that he is uh, a, not a one-sport athlete. You just, you saw the the athleticism that he has. I mean, very good basketball player, and I know that he hones in on the game of hockey, and that's where his expertise should lie. But just uh, a real good guy, very, very humble in his approach. If you have a chance to watch this video and just how he responds to me, and and even at the end of the video, he has that... um, he doesn't really have that, I don't, wouldn't call it confident swagger. He probably does as a player, but you can see that he's very, very humble in his approach. He only had six goals last year on a very good Seattle 
Seattle Thunderbird team. He only had 18 points in 48 games. So, again, uh, this will be his draft year. He's going to get frontline minutes, every opportunity to be a key guy for the Rockets, and that's what he wants to be. He didn't think that was going to happen in Seattle, nor did it happen, obviously, last year. But he'll be given a real good chance here with the Rockets. And, again, he's in your top six. He's in your he's your number one power play guy. So again, his numbers should escalate big time this year. Well, then that's because he's going to have more opportunity. And I'm sure there were guys in Kelowna with the Rockets who were maybe third or fourth liners who are also going to have that uh, opportunity for more ice time and and move up the depth chart a bit. Uh, who comes to him? Who who comes to mind when I frame it like that? Well, yeah, I think you know that's interesting because I looked at the Rockets last year and I thought you know the older guys were good and some of the younger guys I just I was hoping for more. I guess over the course of the season, you hope that these sixteen, seventeen year olds you know get better as the season goes along. And I'm not going to say all, but some of them it's like their game went into neutral and they just they. <sighs> They should have been better in the opening round of the series against Seattle. I know the T-Birds would make it look bad because they were the WHL champions and they were loaded with talent. But again, uh, that's what I was hoping to see. And it just seemed like the season wore down some of the young guys, whereas now you've got Aginla, who, you know, he he knows the the rigors of being a top-line player. Uh, The Rockets got the rights to a real good, good player. His name is Hiroki Gosick, mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, from the Penticton V's, played there last year. He was acquired, actually his rights were acquired from Victoria, and he's going to make his Kelowna Rocket debut this year. He's going to be a dynamic 17-year-old center iceman. I expect real big things from him. And so, again, these are some of the younger guys. Some of the, you know, the younger age group for this Kelowna Rocket team I thought were a little weak due to late picks in the WHL prospects drafts over the years. But now the Rockets, I think, have tweaked it enough where they bring in these young new faces, and I don't want to put too much pressure on them, but I expect some of these young guys to really elevate their play and become big contributors so when they're 19, the Rockets can again fight for a WHL title. You know, it's interesting, you, with the team bringing in guys who weren't with the organization last year, but still young, like again, Lynn, like Gosich, you just mentioned, that that's going to make some uh, some competition in camp. Maybe there were young Rockets last year who were just naturally expecting uh, more opportunity this year. Now they're going to have to earn it, and that's a good thing. Bingo, bingo, exactly. That's the thing, right? Like I think sometimes these these guys think that they're well because they played at such a high level. They've been that marquee player prior to making their their mark at the WHL level, and then I think when you become a bit of a second-class citizen on your junior team, you know that Andrew Crystal is going to get all the limelight. He's going to get the first line minutes because he deserves it. But I think what happens is you go, you want to know what? Eh, I'm 16, 17-year-old. I'm I'm not going to make a massive contribution this year. Just give me time. You know, I'll be good when I'm you know 18 and 19 years of age, which is the wrong, wrong uh, mindset to have. You know, even if you're a young guy, every opportunity you're given by the coaching staff and Chris Millette, the head coach of the Kelowna Rockets, trying to open the door to some of these young guys to allow them, you know, for them to impress him. And sometimes I wonder if some guys don't grab the baton as much as they should. And again, that's what I want to see. I want to see the young guys who played a very small role in the Rockets' uh, success last year, to come in this year, come in with more jam, come in with more fight, and knowing full well that if I don't get my act together in a hurry, mm-hmm. I may not even make this team this year because there's so many guys now in my age group that are probably better than I am. So you better bring it this time around because uh, I don't think you're going to get the uh, 
you know, you're not you're not going to maybe get that 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 look see as you did one year ago when the, when the shelves were kind of empty and you didn't have a lot of good young players. Exactly, uh, Regan. I've been asking everybody uh, that's been coming on here for these previews if there's one particular story that they're looking for an answer for in training camp, whether it's a positional question or who's going to play here or with this guy. Is there one situation in Kelowna that you're most intrigued by watching how it plays out? Well, I just again, I want to see, I want to see the team do a better job of just defending. I, again, I think that has been a sore spot, you know, with the Rockets maybe the last couple of years. You got to remember, this team hasn't gotten out of the second round, well, not out of the first round since 2017. Uh, that's when Jason Smith was the head coach of this Kelowna Rocket team when they went all the way to the third round, where they were eventually eliminated by Seattle. So, you know, for this team to get out of the first round would be would be massive. But again, they're going to have to clean things up in their own zone, and a lot of fans. Don't like that right they want to see the offensive game they want to see big scores they want to see the team you know lighting the lamp and you know attention to detail defensively is kind of boring but uh, again they've got to shore that up in a big big way and so i i think the forwards have to do a massive job of contributing to that and i know that head coach chris millette he wants to let the guys free wheel offensively but again you got to take care of what's going on in the defensive zone we saw it last year too loose in my opinion, too loose in the coach's opinion. I think if they can shore that up in their own zone here, they got good goaltending, you already kicking in, that won't be the problem. But just be smoother in your own zone, smarter with the puck. And again, I think that'll translate into good things at the other end. The uh, last question is always reasonable expectations for uh, the fan base and what they should expect from the Kelowna Rockets this season. Uh, I mean, it was a playoff team last year, with, uh, or one round and out again, as you pointed out. Uh, when you look at this club coming in, what what are reasonable? Where do you set the bar for a reasonable target for this team? Yeah, Gee, 27 wins last year, right? 43, or make that 42 wins the year prior. So I think it was a bit of a letdown to only win 27 times last year. And, you know, you, you thank the hockey gods, the fact that both Victoria and Spokane had terrible seasons. I mean, yeah. the Royals and the Chiefs, you know, they set franchise records for the fewest amount of victories. And had that not happened, who knows where, you know, uh, the Rockets would have been at the end of the day, finishing with the, that eighth and final playoff spot. So, again, getting into the second round this year, I think is is doable. I think that's the goal. I know at the start of the year, the focus is on everybody trying to win the Ed Chenault Cup as WHL champions. But realistically, I think if you can win in between 35 and 40 games this year, you get into a better spot in the Western Conference playoffs where now three teams will miss postseason play with uh, the addition of Wenatchee. So if they can get into the second round, make their mark, and get some mojo, winning feeling, right? You, you take a look at all the teams they, they've lost before they've won. And so uh, the Rockets, I think, have you know felt the ill effects. They've uh, many times over the course of, I would say, the last two seasons, the Rockets, their resume has won them hockey games. But now teams are coming in a prosperous place saying, you want to know what? We've won in this building before. We can do it again. Rockets have to be better on home ice. If they can get to the second round, to me, that's a massively successful season. And then again, from there, you look to the year next, and you go, hey, to the third round, uh, the Rockets are only going upwards. And I think, yeah, getting to the second round, I think the coaching staff and general manager Bruce Hamilton would be awfully happy with that. All right. Well, it all gets going this weekend as camp opens up uh, for the Rockets. Uh, Regan, this has been terrific. Uh, thank you very much for uh, being available. I'm glad that you were available to do this this week. Uh, and I hope uh, things improve there 
uh, in regards to the uh, to the wildfires for sure. Regan, this has been terrific. It's great to talk hockey with you, Guy. That's the thing, right? I mean, you need that escapism. That's what the WHL is all about. That's why you get a season ticket and you spend your winters, you know, in an arena because there's nothing better than getting involved in major junior hockey and supporting your own franchise. The, you know, the, that's the uh, that good example of what your city provides is a, just a tremendous representative. So get behind your junior hockey team and enjoy the winter because it's going to be fun as always. Well said. Thanks for this, Regan. Okay, take care. A lot to digest there if you're a Kelowna Rockets fan as uh, Regan Bartell. Thanks to him for uh, coming on the show in trying times. I mean, I, I talked to Regan for probably an hour. Most of it not about hockey, or a lot of it not about hockey anyway. It's just a really scary summer in uh, the Okanagan. You know, Unfortunately, not everybody is getting out of it unscathed. Uh, but you just hope for the best for everyone there, as good as possible, at least in a very, very trying time. Anyway, when it comes to hockey, I don't know what to make of the Rockets, to be quite honest. Don't get to see them very often, at least in person. They, I mean, they were here last year. They won't be in Edmonton this year. So maybe if you're a Rocket fan, tell me what you like about the team and what might have you concerned about the team. Because based on Regan's uh, description, I think goaltending is uh, probably okay, at least maybe a, maybe even above average in the league. Although, big question mark behind Kikkanen. The blue line is going to be young. A lot riding on the shoulders of uh, Caden Price. And the forwards were kind of disappointing last year outside of some of the bigger names. So I'm not sure if this is a playoff team, especially now. I mean, you consider they were eighth seed last year. Now, Victoria and Spokane were, as what Regan described, historically bad. There was a 16-point gap between eighth and ninth place. That's a lot for Victoria and Spokane to overcome. However, we've just parachuted Winnipeg slash Wenatchee into the conference, the top team from the Eastern Conference last year. Based on their roster on paper, what they're starting the year off with, that's probably a playoff team. That automatically bumps the eighth seed down to nine, which, that's Kelowna. You could go quickly from inside to outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs now in the West. So I'm not sure Kelowna's a playoff team. What do you think? Hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. We have one more segment to go scheduled to join me at the voice of the Lethbridge Hurricanes big news in southern Alberta this week. And we'll get to talk to Dustin Forbes about it all. That's next here on the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Stuart Skinner from the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Here's Skinner looking for the empty net. Rolling, rolling. He scores! Stuart Skinner! Unbelievable! Stuart Skinner has a goal! you're listening to the pipeline show oscar from atchison loves wilhawk beef jerky i'll never forget it <laughs> heading to the lake three screaming kids in the back let's get ice cream we said sour soupy sundays all over the van but then i found wilhawk beef jerky tender seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. It's the cheapest drug there is. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show as we continue going team by team looking at the uh, upcoming WHL season for each club. In the Western Hockey League, of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best, which means my next guest 
can get some beef jerky for himself if he's uh I don't know, are you a are you a beef jerky guy, Dustin? Oh, who isn't a beef jerky guy? I might just have to get a supply and keep it in the uh the broadcast booths uh, to uh outfit all of you guys when you come to town. How about that? I can speak on behalf of myself and all of the other twenty guys other than Tierzy, but that's <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> He's Dustin Forbes, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Lethbridge Hurricanes, and uh, Dustin. As we get close to camp and camp opening up now, as we speak, as a matter of fact, uh, exciting times. And uh, it's not like there's any news or anything like that happening right now. So a quiet start to camp down in Lethbridge. The quietest of my <laughs> ten years. Ski, yes, very quiet down these parts. Uh, heading into the camp that, uh, of course, is always an exciting time. It's really the big kickoff to the season and uh, three weeks away from the, the home opener on September the 22nd. So uh, always exciting, of course, tongue-in-cheek, and that it has not really been that quiet uh, this week, for sure. Well, a news bomb in Lethbridge uh, this week. As uh, listen, We're not going to harp on it too much, but you're not the guy who hires the head coach. Bill Peters is back in the Western Hockey League. I'll talk to Peter Anholt about that at some point, I'm sure. But uh, from your perspective, we're going to get into the team and the roster and all of that stuff. My only question for you about the coaching staff is, do you, do we expect a different look to the Hurricanes in terms of playing style on the ice uh, under Bill Peters compared to what we used to see with uh, with Brent Kissio? Well, first and foremost, uh, I, I think from a team perspective, uh, there's excitement to have Bill in the fold uh, and his hockey resume speaks for itself in, in what he's been able to accomplish as a coach at the levels that he's been able to coach at speaking to the NHL, American hockey league, uh, being on world cup championship staffs and, and working through hockey Canada. Of course, he's a Memorial cup champion in 2008. So there is a, a lot of excitement hockey wise for sure. Uh, the players seem excited. Bill seems excited about the opportunity and the coaching staff and management staff here really excited to have a coach of this caliber uh, in the full. Uh, as far as playing style, I know in the brief conversations that I've been a part of in, in talking with Bill and the staff here, uh, they want to play a more up-tempo style of game. Uh, as you know, and anybody that's watched the Hurricanes over the last couple of years, offense has been at a premium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's been difficult to find sometimes. And that part and parcel to having a lot of high-end players like Trey Wilkie, like Miguel Marcus, like Logan Wormald, who were really young. Last year, the first two, 16, Logan Wormald, 17. Now they go into their second and third years, respectively, with a whole new opportunity, a new coach that has no previous knowledge or opinion about the player uh, individually. And so it's a, a it's a fresh slate. And, and the one thing that Bill has spoken to is that over the last few years, Brent Kissio and his staff did such a great job defensively, good goaltending, really strong decor, and, and offense has been the one area, specifically speaking to the power play, that has struggled at times, and that's the area of focus that needs improving heading into this season because you can defend all you want, but when you're averaging less than two and a half or around two and a half goals per game over the course of a season, Odds are you're not going to win as many as you lose. Now, in the Hurricanes case, over 500 last year, a playoff team, despite the offensive struggles, and that's a, a big part of the defensive game and the goaltending that they had last year with Brian Thompson and Harrison Menigan, who goes into the season, and I'm sure we'll get to that point, uh, uh, being the undisputed number one goaltender in Lethbridge. 
but from a hockey perspective, a lot of excitement and a lot of work to do offensively. And they're excited to get that started this week and heading into the preseason, which for the Hurricanes opens up on Tuesday. You think there's legit concern at all with a coach who, forget the name, any coach who ha- might have a relationship or a history with the WHL, but not for a decade and a half. I mean, the game has changed. Players have changed a lot just in terms of mentality and personality. Is that a concern, do you think, that we got a coach who there might be a bit of a disconnect with this age group? I don't think there's a concern per se. Uh, obviously, the game, as you, you described from 2008 when he won the Memorial Cup at Spokane to 2023 today, there's a drastically different league and, and style of game and, and society in terms of players mm-hmm. and, and how they're grown up and how they're brought up and how they're developed. Uh, and Bill's spoken to that to the media uh, today about, you know, they're, they're so many more opportunities for these players and they're so much more talented than they were 15 years ago when he coached in this league before. I don't think that there's a disconnect for Bill with the age group. Maybe there is in the sense of coaching them, but he has a son, Aiden Peters, who played in the Alberta Hockey League, Alberta Junior Hockey League last year, who's an 04. So he's been around that age group, understands the age group with his son. So I think there's familiarity there. Coaching and being a dad are two drastically different things. But I think in Bill's case, uh, coming in, you know, right before camp, training camp has already been uh, designed and scheduled and worked on by the associate coaches, Matt Anholt and uh, Ryan Aisman. So I think for Bill and what he said is this is an opportunity for me to watch, to observe, to learn the people and the players and move forward into the preseason next week. And really getting, once you get down to the 30 players you're going to take into preseason and then whittling down to your, well, the Hurricanes usually carry a 22-23 man roster come the end of September when guys are back from NHL training camps. Uh, it's, it's a learning process for Bill and a good opportunity for him to really dig in and, and pick the brain of these thing coaches and to see what players are here and uh, to be able to form proper opinions on and how in terms of utilization and things like that. Dustin Forbes, he calls the shots for the Lethbridge Hurricanes, uh, literally call, calling the shots uh, on the radio uh, uh, for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Uh, let's get to the roster, and maybe we'll look ahead by first reflecting on who's not back uh, from last year's uh, playoff roster that we saw. That would be uh, forwards Cole Shepard, Jet Jones, and, of course, uh, netminder Brian Thompson. Anyone else from uh, what we saw in the uh, opening round of the playoffs who is not back? Uh, first and foremost, those uh, three guys certainly advancing uh, and, and graduating after uh, two of them being lifetime Hurricanes and Cole Shepard, who was acquired last year uh, around training camp from Vancouver, who had such a good year and impact for the team last year. Tristan Zandi, uh, no longer with the group. Uh, he, w- I think, is off to go to school. And Nolan Benson, the defenseman, would have been an overage player this season. Dandy, too, right. uh, going into this season, electing not to play hockey and step away from the game. So uh, those two players, certainly different pieces to last year's team, but uh, pieces that are, are not going to be here uh, going into this season. Tyson LaVenture? Uh, Tyson, you're right. Tyson LaVenture traded uh, to Swift Current. Uh, also would have been an overage this season, made a, a deal with Swift Currents uh, earlier in the summer to 
give him a fresh start, a new opportunity. And I think that's it off the top okay. of my mind. All right. Well, that's the team's top three scores and what you described as a, uh, where offense was a premium. So, uh, concern there. And I understand why you, you framed it like that at the start, uh, as well as, uh, Brian Thompson, who career, a Lethbridge Hurricane, going to miss him in net. But let's start with that goaltending position. You mentioned Harrison Menigan, uh, who played more than, well, he played exactly half the regular season games last year and did a pretty darn good job first year in the league, a 908 save percentage. He is, as you described, automatic number one goaltender for Lethbridge. But who else is coming to camp? Who's going to push him? Uh, but really, it's it's Menigan's net. You're right, it is. And and he had such a good rookie season last year. Uh, was a second-team All-Star in the Central Division uh, for the Western Hockey League. Was the goaltender of the month in November last year and, and didn't get drafted by an NHL team but went to Minnesota Wild Camp and he's going to have an opportunity here in the next couple of weeks to attend a pro camp as well. Uh, is the number one goaltender. After that, you look at the next logical choice and to be the backup, and that would be Brady Smith, who... Uh, had a, an appearance last year, uh, a couple of appearances in-game. He was here a couple of times through injuries of Brian Thompson, who, of course, if we remember, didn't start the season because of off-season hip surgery uh, the summer before and then got banged up again shortly thereafter. So Brady was here, didn't play a lot, but was here and was really able to soak in what the Western Hockey League was all about. Played in the BCHL last year with the Coquitlam Express you would pencil him in to being the backup goaltender to Harrison Menigan. Uh, Cohen Cleaver, eligible to be a backup. He's now a 16-year-old. Usually, at least in my experience in the nine years prior going into my 10th year in Lethbridge, all of them with Peter Anhold, not usually to keep a 16-year-old goaltender. I think for, for that position and that player, specifically Cohen Cleaver, Go play at the U18 level, be a number one guy, be a workhorse, and really continue to develop your game. And then there's a few other names. Uh, Caden Perron uh, at camp, Brody Rotar at camp, and a few other goaltenders that are invited uh, as well, and Mitchell Caitler, uh, Hayden Hyde, and Ashton Fumerton. So uh, there are opportunities, and, and that's the one nice thing about training camp and preseason is you know he is, Sometimes you get players that surprise and you go, oh, my goodness, like we can't not keep this player. So uh, I think for the backup position, pencil in Brady Smith, but open competition. Well, and I know when I was looking up uh, stats a little bit, Cohen Cleaver's numbers last year were ridiculous. I totally agree with you with the he's a 16 year old. You're probably not going to keep a 16 year old backup, man. But if he can build on a season where he had a 940 save percentage through 23 games uh, playing in his. Uh, at the U17 level, 14-5-2 and two record. I mean, those are really impressive numbers. Shouldn't come as a surprise because the Hurricanes do pretty well with goaltenders over the years, haven't they? Yes, they've had a pretty good track record uh, over, at least in my time. You go from Stuart Skinner to Logan Flodell to uh, Brian Thompson and Carl Tedichuk mixed in there as well. It's been mm -hmm. a pretty good uh, pipeline of net minding uh, over the last decade here in Lethbridge for sure. Well done. Appreciate that. Uh, okay, let's go to the, uh, the defensive core, uh, Dustin, and a uh, couple of returning 20-year-olds 20 this year in Joe Arnson and, and Chase Pauls. They really anchor this blue line, don't they? they these are two longtime uh, Hurricane players and just I think anchor is the perfect uh, way to describe them. They're huge, and they just uh, so really solidify that defensive core. I absolutely agree, and I kind of refer to them as the twin towers yeah. because you get 
Joe, who's six foot two and uh, maybe one of the most, I guess, to use a word, fearful guys in the Western Hockey League in terms of uh, his presence as a sheriff on the ice. And Chase Paul, who's six four and over 210 pounds on the right side. And uh, I, I think back to the season that ended up being postponed and then canceled the 2019-2020 season uh, and that Hurricanes team. And they had a pair of overage defensemen on that team and Ty Prefontaine and Coltrane Wilson. And the tandem of Joe Arnson and Chase Pauls going into their overage seasons really remind me of that tandem on the back end as overage defensemen and just being able to be minute munchers playing in all situations and both uh, getting NHL experience uh, in terms of camps. Joe, a couple of years ago, went to Carolina Hurricanes camp. He went to the development camp in the summer for the New York Rangers, and we'll go back to Rangers camp for rookie camp next week. Chase Pauls with the Los Angeles Kings getting a chance in the summertime. He'll go back to their camp uh, next week as well. So uh, obviously from their perspective, they're going with the opportunity to try and earn a contract, be that an entry-level deal or an American Hockey League deal and not be back for their overage season uh, at this level. But if they are, and assuming that they are back, I think it might be one of the best shutdown pairs in the entire Western Hockey League. And there's experience behind them as well. Uh, Logan McCutcheon is a nice offensive, smallish offensive player, although I don't think we've seen his best offensive game yet, just 33 points last year, but has increased those totals all three seasons he's been with the Hurricanes, which is what you'd hope for. And now Noah Chadwick uh, drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you got a top four there that's pretty solid. Yeah, Noah Chadwick, you're right. A, a sixth-round pick of the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he went to Toronto in the offseason for their development camp. We'll go back next week for their rookie camp as well. So you're you're looking at a top four without Logan McCutcheon. If you don't include him, three of your top four of your defense corps getting NHL camp experience over the next few weeks that's going to be absolutely huge for them individually but for the club as well uh and you look at that top four key and 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 my eyes might be biased because i see it every day through practice through scrimmage through games but in my mind i have a tough time finding a better top four in the whl there might be the odd one red beer has a really good defense core going into the season but i think that top four Arnson Pauls, Chadwick McCutcheon could rival anybody in the WHL and being the best top four out there. And then you get to the perspective of Will Sharp, a first-round pick, would go into his 16-year-old season this year. Tristan Doyle, who's a former first-round pick going into his draft year. Aiden Ziprick, who had, uh, well, most of the season with the Hurricanes last year is kind of the 7-8 guy on the back end. And, and you really look at that decor and a lot of returning pieces and it's exciting when you look at the the way the hurricanes played last year to return a core like that i don't think from a coach's perspective there's any concern at all yeah no i agree completely strong goaltending and excellent defense and you can see why the hurricanes were one of the better defensive teams in the league last year now let's go to the forward group and we talk about that offense it's got to come from somewhere and uh, after losing the, the top three scores from last year's roster, it's going to fall to some of those younger guys that you mentioned right off the top. Uh, who are those guys that you expect to, to lead the way offensively for uh, Lethbridge up front? On paper, and the one thing that I always like about this time of year is you get to see players, 
and I'll reference Trey Wilkie and Miguel Marcus, who were 16-year-olds last year and weren't given necessarily the opportunity that an 18- or a 19-year-old player would get. Now they go into this season as 17-year-olds and really going to get an opportunity to, to shine offensively. And for me, if I'm looking at this group as it stands today going into this season, Miguel Marcus, Tyson Zimmer, uh, certainly two of the players are gonna, that are going to have to lead the way offensively. Blake Swetlikoff had a pretty good season last year, uh, split between Spokane and Lethbridge. Braden Edwards, I think, is, is a player that he had so many offensive opportunities last year. I think he probably, uh, well, I can tell you, led the Hurricanes in goalposts. <laughs> probably close to 20 goalposts last year. So you're talking about, uh, you know, a centimeter or two either side of him being a 20 goal guy instead of the, the amount that he had last year. So that's a player that I think the Hurricanes are hoping for a little bit more offense for, from. And then we can't miss about Logan Wormuth. I mean, this is a former third round pick who was sent back to the U18 level as a 16 year old. And then a month later was called back up and stuck and had a great rookie season as a 16-year-old last year, improved his numbers as a 22-goal scorer for the Hurricanes last year, didn't get drafted despite being on the central scouting radar throughout the course of the season. So I think he comes in with a chip on his shoulder to say, hey, look, I'm a player that should have an opportunity to play pro and he'll go into his second year of eligibility in the NHL draft and hoping to really build on the 22 goals and 44 points last year. And I think the hope is, and, and this is just my mind, uh, the hope is that he's going to be one of the offensive catalysts on this team and is, I think, if I had to earmark him, certainly should be a 30-goal scorer and a 70-point guy. And you hope that maybe it's more than that with the likes of Tyson Simmer, Miguel Marcus. And uh, the one thing I'm excited about is seeing Cooper Gazowski. He yep. was acquired from Spokane, and he's going to have a really good opportunity here to be a top six player on the Hurricanes. And what can he bring uh, after a couple of seasons with the Chiefs? Uh, yeah, I was going to bring him up next. And, and when uh, when that trade happened, I messaged you and I said, I kind of like this deal. I mean, this is a guy who was taken in the second round in 2020, and I think the Hurricanes gave up, what, a fourth or a fifth round pick, something like that, uh, to get him. Also got a seventh rounder. So didn't seem like it cost a whole lot to get a guy who was considered a, a second round talent not that long ago. And now he's 18 years old, he's right in his wheelhouse to take a, a step in his development. That trade could work out pretty well. I agree. And at the very worst, you're talking about maybe a middle six player. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, he's kind of a third line guy last year on, uh, on Spokane, who had a, I mean, they're in the rebuild cycle of junior hockey and was still able to put up decent numbers on a team that didn't score a lot last year. Uh, and, and that's no slight on anybody on that roster or that team in general is just stating a fact. So you look at him and you bring him in and maybe you get an opportunity uh, to put him on a line with Tyson Zimmer and Logan Wormald and see, uh, maybe he has some pop. Maybe he has some finish. And the little bit that I've been able to see him leading up to training camp in the informal skates, if you will, this is a player that has a good shot. He seems to be able to find open, pardon me, open areas on the ice. And so if you have a player or players on his line that can distribute the puck, maybe that's a hidden gem. And you're right. I mean, the cost wasn't all that much. And so low risk, potentially high reward could be a, a diamond in the rough trade that we've seen Peter Anholt able to make those types of moves over the years.
Dustin, what's the biggest question mark you have going into camp about this team for this season? Maybe it gets settled here in camp and kind of works itself out, or maybe it's something that you have to wait and see how it develops for the first month of the regular season or something like that. But what's the biggest question mark for you? I think the big one of the bigger question marks for me, uh, I mean, we've talked about the offense and how that's going to be an area that needs to improve, and you, you hope that those players that we've talked about take a step offensively. For me, I'm interested to see what does the bottom six look like. I mean, you're taught, you look at last year and a lot of returning players uh, from that group. Hayden Smith was a third, fourth line guy last year who scored 14 goals. Can he improve upon that number? What does Dustin Renas do going into his second full season in the Western Hockey League with a new coach and a new perspective? And then uh, you, you reference the the import players. As it stands right now, the Hurricanes have Anton Astashevich, who was on their team last year. He's going into his third season in the Western Hockey League, playing with Calgary and then coming over last year, playing with the Hurricanes. He spent the entire summer in Lethbridge training with Trevor Hardy, the Hurricanes' strength and conditioning coach. So uh, the first thing I noticed when I saw Anton for the first time this week was, wow, uh, you've put in a, a lot of work this offseason. He's bigger, he's thicker, he's skating really well uh, through the informal skates. And then you add the first-round pick in the CHL import draft from this past offseason, Elias Noster, who uh, is a really dynamic player from what I've been able to see. And again, having an idea of what he is will be able to grow as training camp continues and the preseason continues. But this is a player who is thicker than I think a lot of people anticipated based on what his listed numbers were online and, and, and what have you from last year. Uh, really uh, seems to have a really good step uh, in, in terms of his skating ability and has a really good shot. So excited to see what Elias Noster will do for the Hurricanes in his first year. And I know talking to him uh, in terms of who he models his game after at the NHL level, the first player he said was Matthew Barzell. If you have a smidge of what Matthew Barzell was at the Western Hockey League level in Elias Noster, it's a pretty good player. Lastly, uh, Dustin, we always go with uh, what fans should expect from a team. What are reasonable expectations? This is a club that finished fifth in the Eastern Conference last year. Is that where you set the bar? Is, okay, let's uh, try to be better than that, but let's not lose ground either. Is, is that reasonable to think they can hold that fifth position? I think so. I, I mean, I, the way I see it is, is show me a good goaltender, show me a good defense group, you're probably going to have a pretty good team. And, and as we've outlined, you have a really good defense core returning, maybe one of the better top fours of the WHL, and a good number one goaltender uh, to, to lean on in Harrison Menigan. The offense, we're going to see. Uh, that's the area of concern, the area that needs the most focus and improvement. Um, but I, I do agree. I, I think middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference, I would earmark them as a playoff team. And the one thing that has been proven over the last 10 years under the guidance and of, of Peter Anholt is he's not afraid to make a move. And yep. uh, if you get to the middle of October or end of October, beginning of November, and this is a team that's sputtering offensively, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls the trigger to try and add another top six forward. I think the hope is that you have that those top six forwards in your uh, lineup and on your roster as it stands now with a year of growth and a 
new opportunity and a fresh start, but Pete's not afraid to pull the trigger on deals and big deals. So uh, I, I think for me, though, if I had to say right now, as we talk August 31st, is this a playoff team? I think they are. I think they're going to be a team that battles for second, third in the in the Central Division. And uh, anything can happen, as you know, if you get into the playoffs uh, at any level of hockey. So I, I would say they're a playoff team for sure. I would agree with that. And I should remind listeners that uh, Lethbridge finished fifth in the conference last year, but the team that finished in first no longer in the conference. Now they're in the U.S. Division. Uh, so that kind of uh, makes uh, Lethbridge automatically fourth. So maybe we're talking about a team, if they don't take a step back, is more likely to be uh, in the mix for home ice advantage in the first round, which would be terrific. Well, and a group last year that had an opportunity and was competing for the opportunity to have home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs up until the beginning of March. So uh, before they kind of fell behind Moose Jaw and, and Moose Jaw ultimately was able to seal up the four position and then ultimately beat the Hurricanes in four games in the first round. But uh, And that was with a team that, as we've kind of talked about, had a offense that wasn't really in the top 10 or Right. 12 of the of the Western Hockey League. So uh, I think if that area can improve with the defense core and the goaltending, I think this is a team that could maybe surprise some people. And, I mean, you talk about the coaching staff off the top, having a coach that's coached in the National Hockey League and a returning uh, supporting cast in Matt Anholt and Ryan Aisman as the assistant coaches from the last couple of years. There is some familiarity there, and there is some uh, excitement about what this group can do. Training camps get going here this weekend and the uh, exhibition schedule uh, shortly after that. And then the regular season starts. And I know uh, Edmonton and Lethbridge get together. I think it's like 16 times in the first three weeks. So uh, <laughs> we will see each other uh, quite often uh, down in downtown Edmonton. Dustin, looking forward to it. Yeah, we make all three of our Edmonton trips before the middle of October. So I fully <laughs> expect to be sick of beef jerky by <laughs> Thanksgiving. You got it, buddy. Hey, thanks for this. I appreciate it. Always. Dustin Forbes, the play-by-play man for the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And what do you think? Is it reasonable to expect that Lethbridge doesn't take a step back? They lose their top three scores and their starting net minor from last year, but they've got some pretty talented youth that appear to be ready to take that next step. Maybe can fill that hole offensively up front, maybe even get it to another level. They weren't a great offensive team last year. Defensively, they're still strong, and their goaltender... They said they lose their starting net miner in Brian Thompson, but it was actually Harrison Menigan that did play the bulk of the uh, regular season starts. He had 36 starts. He's a good goaltender. They don't have a lot of security behind him, but I think it's reasonable to think that Lethbridge is still in contention for home ice advantage in the opening round. Disagree? Maybe you agree. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. That's going to do it for this week's episode next week. We continue on with the WHL previews. The schedule for next week, well, it gets a a little bit more crowded. Six teams next week, six teams the week after that as well. On the docket for next week's episode, Vancouver, Victoria, Saskatoon, Kamloops, Seattle, and right here in Edmonton with the Oil Kings. So a very busy show next week. Training camps opening up this weekend. And so by next week's show, we'll be able to uh, have some first-hand account of what's been, uh, what we've been able to see in training camps. Before I go, if you were looking for my thoughts on the hiring of Bill Peters uh, with Lethbridge, you can find those in the opening segment if you're just listening to this uh, particular segment here with Dustin. 
Quick thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a, become a patron or are trying a seven-day free trial at patreon.com slash show. Really appreciate that support. And those of you on free trials, I hope you'll uh, appreciate what you're hearing and will continue on as full patrons. And with that, I bid you a good weekend. Between now and next week, get out and watch some junior hockey if you can so that we can talk about it right here on The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, and my name is Guy Flaming. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya.